You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Coming up on the roundup, a look three years into the future of Magic and the shocking return of Preordain in Modern. Then on the brew session, David is hunting trophies with four new deck lists on the cutting edge of Pioneer. That's all coming up on Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson, and I am joined again for after a little break by the Faithless Brewing dictator, the Faithless Brewing Prime Minister, El Presidente. He is Dan Trever. He's caved in online. What's going on, Dan? What a day, David. What a day. Happy Band Day. Happy Unband Day. Yeah, happy Unband Day. Super exciting. Uh, that was the major announcement that happened. Uh, you know, I don't want to say moments, hours <laughs> before we're recording here this evening. But um, yeah, we are going to get to that. We're going to get to uh, some great uh, insight that people have about the formats going forward. I've been playing a ton of Pioneer. I've been trying a bunch of different things, hoping no cards will get banned. So the format is uh, still the format I'm going to talk about. Uh, that'll be fun to talk about. Um, no new cards at this time, but maybe by the next time we record, that will be happening. But before we get into that, we, of course, need to do a little housekeeping at the top. And we want to give a huge shout out to our newest patrons. We want to welcome Alex and, excuse me, Alexander F., Matt D., and Jesse P. to the Faithless Brewing uh, Patreon. Thank you very much for joining. Yeah, thank you so much to all of our patrons. We really couldn't do this without you if you're enjoying the program. Patreon is the best way to support us, um, to help give back and support what we do. You can go to patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing, make a pledge at any tier you like. That gives you immediate access to our wonderful Discord community, where when bans happen, or don't happen, or when unbans happen, we got the best brewers in the multiverse picking it all apart. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we got to give a shout out to Jesse P here. Our apologies. Shooting for the 5-0 with Kefnet this, with this, these couple weeks. Did not get it. Um, I guess <laughs> Mana Symbol went out uh, with the blue-green list, and I don't think he won a match. <laughs> I felt pretty bad. I, pretty, I had built a previous deck and gone 3-2. I, I, I tried to recommend decks I haven't at least tried. I thought I'd made improvements to it, and then he didn't win a uh, match. I think he won a, a couple games. Uh, <laughs> I had more success with the blue-black shell, um, and we'll talk about that a little later, but I know Jesse is a huge God Eternal Kefnet fan, so love to have a fellow God Eternal fan out there. I just found that so funny because when you told me last week, David, that you wanted to do this Kefnet episode, I was like, man, I mean, I support you in your passion projects, but what an obscure card. <laughs> like, how out of left field is this? No one's going to listen. No one's going to download it. And like hours later, Jesse P signs up and says, oh my gosh, you guys did a Kefnet episode. <laughs> I can't believe it. So, welcome to the family. 
And yeah, we'll we'll try to get that match win for you next time. <laughs> I won many, many matches. I have a winning record with Kefnet. I just want that known. Six, nine and six across three leagues. I hope that was not the last league that Zach played. So Mana Symbol <laughs> is back in rehearsals now. He's going to ship out for his next cruise contract uh, in just a few weeks. So he, you may not be hearing his dulcet tones again for a while, but I'm sure he'll still be checking in when he can. He'll still be following all the goings-ons, and you can definitely reach him on Twitter or in the Faithless Brewing Discord. <laughs> We'd like to send him off with a win. <laughs> a win, not even many wins yeah. necessarily. Okay, so lots of news to get to, and... Uh, a lot of sweet decks. David, you've been brewing up a storm. You've been on an absolute tear and pioneer. So we're going to get to all of that, but let's start at the very top. Magic turned 30 years old. Magic 30, of course, that's the theme of the year, but the actual birthday of Magic was Gen Con. I believe August 5th, 1993, was when Magic officially debuted. So Gen Con, again, happened to be August 5th this year. So it was the official 30th birthday. They promised us a big hullabaloo grand announcements a look three years into the future turns out there actually wasn't an actual in-person panel they just like uploaded a youtube video but it was pretty well done <laughs> yeah i was expecting a lot i thought they'd be showing a lot of new cards um my, my mistake sorry about that but we know at least where we're headed so here is the upcoming lineup wilds of eldraine the next standard legal set previews begin august 15th so just days from when you're listening to this episode we talked about the first five or six cards on last week's show when Lawson was on. Curious, David, if you had any follow-up thoughts on those. Yeah, uh, I do want to clean a few things up. You guys said stuff that was <laughs> not accurate, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, <laughs> but I, I, the, the main thing I do want to say is I've gone from thinking that Tough Cookie was like a cute card to a good card, and now I think it's a great card. I actually like legitimately think this not broken. I just think this card's like super powerful. Uh, and I already have a bunch of shells built around it. So I, I, that card is just like going to be very good, I predict, in, Pi in Pioneer. Okay, you got you to gotta give me a little something here. You can't tease me like so, that. So first of all, as you mentioned, uh, when talking about the card, it is two pieces of cardboard, two artifacts uh, for one two-mana card. So that's already something. But then it's like the rare two drop that is reasonably good early, right? If you're, you know, whatever, ramping to the demon, if you're, I don't know what you want, what you're wanting to cast. Um, if they print other cards with, you know, affinity like abilities. Okay. So it's good early, but then it's good late. Cause like if you play it with five mana up, it's functionally a two, two that can stay back and block and then turn your treasure or whatever you have lying around into a four, four beater. But then it's scale. So like, okay, you did that on turn five. You got to attack with a 4-4 four -four and have a 2-2 two -two back, back to block. Then the next turn, you like turn the food and your treasure into an attacker. So it, it represents like 10 damage on the next turn. Um, it also interacts really, really well with cards like Asika's Chariot. You can like crew up Chariot for the three mana and you get to attack with the Chariot plus the two things that nominally would crew it. So Chariot really is a power for four mana if you want to think of it that way. Okay, so you're really looking at that two in a green target artifact becomes a 4-4 four, four until end of turn as like a, a major point of power on the card. Yeah, so we have a bunch of cards that we've been toying around with that what happens is we like can't finish the game a lot of times, right? I'm talking about um, <laughs> your love of the 1-1 uh, one, one blue creature that taps for two mana that can only be used for activated abilities. 
Um, mm-hmm. We have we have a love for training grounds. Uh, so let's let's imagine like a deck that is playing training grounds plus that and just makes a bunch of artifacts. That's insane. It's you can't even stop it with a removal. And in such a deck, you could also imagine like as a backup plan because we're playing blue. The four mana saga that looks for an artifact in your top five looks for an artifact in your top five and makes all your artifacts five five creatures. Um, so you have ways to do it there. You can play it with the four mana planeswalker uh, that we've <laughs> tried and tried with. That makes the first activation very cheap. So like the turn you play it, it's a uh, it's functioning a three mana four four haste that also leaves a two two back to block your planeswalker. Um. Well, just a couple a couple of questions. Okay. So when you're saying removal can't stop it, you're talking about the first activation. So you can get one hit in for four if they try to remove the tough cookie. Well, I'm saying let, let's say you have like, I don't know, four treasures in play. You're just, we're, it's magical okay. Christmas land. And we, we have a, um, and it's turn five. Okay. And your opponent's got like a, they attacked you with their blood tithe harvester and they flipped their um, kiki jiki. They had that back to block. And we have training grounds in play. We play the tough cookie and we just okay. target all of our treasures. I mean, they can't stop that with removal. It's, it's an instant speed activation. Oh, I see. Okay. You're talking about if, if we have training grounds and multiple like junk pieces of and artifacts. three green in play, we just get to attack for 12. Okay. The food token that tough cookie brings can't attack that turn, right? So that they're safe from that first. No, turn. no. Yeah. You have to, you have to have an artifact lying around. So you, I'm imagining a deck that's playing blood. I actually think it's really, really good with um, what's the uh, green enchantment that makes a food. And then whenever you like lose and uh, whenever you sack a food, you can look at your top two and put a permanent in your hand. Trailer crumbs. Yeah. Yeah. Trailer crumbs. So it gives you a ton of food for trailer crumbs. It gives you a bunch of fodder for your um, gilded goose. Like the fact that both of the cards are food is just is really important as well. It's amazing with uh, the wolf. Oh, the Wicked Wolf. Like the Wolf. Okay, so like you play this, they play Shieldred. You play Wicked Wolf, sacrifice both of them, eat Shieldred. Like just straight up two for one. And have a 5-5 five, five Wolf. Oh, because Wicked Wolf is sacrifice one food, put a plus one plus yes. one counter on it, indestructible tap. Yeah. Okay, that's more more efficient than Asmo. <laughs> yeah, so so I, I think that like there's going to be a black-green deck where this is part of bringing like the demon down early, and then it has all this extra synergy, right? So like you're, you don't, your only finisher isn't the demon anymore. If you just flood out, this plus six mana is ten power attacking. And then I also think you can make a blue-green like faux combo deck where you're playing the, um, the saga and just mana sources and maybe... Uh, training grounds, maybe not. Maybe the um, breadcrumb thing, trailer crumbs, maybe not. Gotcha. It's just like a super good fair card, and it also like I'm also outlining like a bunch of unfair openings or un- like ways to steal games where you're quote unquote like losing the fair game. Gotcha. And for those playing along at home, the demon is Herald of English. <laughs> the one one is Omen Hawker. The saga is the Antiquities War. And the Planeswalker is a uh, Tezzeret Betrayer of Flesh. Yes. So, okay. <laughs> uh, David Jeopardy card answer. And, and, and importantly, each of those decks is only two colors. So your mana is perfect in both of them. Um, but yeah, I, I just think this card, like, Gilded Goose on two, on one. Uh, the, uh, you'll have to help me again, the blue artifact that uh, taps a creature or an artifact to make a colorless mana. 
moon snare prototype. Yes. Goose on one, moon snare prototype, tap the goose and another land, play tough cookie. Then the next turn you for sure have uh, four mana to play the Antiquities War. Like, you're just so far ahead. Like, no fair deck can ever beat that. And it's like, oh, okay, I get to play black. I thought seize your um, Antiquity. All right, you're you're down four life. You shocked and thought seize. And now I'm just, like, activating, like, turning all my garbage foods into four fours that just attack through almost everything. Gosh, I, I hope that's true. That sounds so sweet. I feel like a fair deck would would easily defeat a deck full of, like, little junk artifacts like Moonster Prototypes just by thought seizing the payoff cards but maybe what you're saying is tough cookie is both an enabler and just a really strong late game card by itself yeah that, that's the thing is that's what that's what excited me is like you think of it okay it can do this it's like no it can do everything if you if you build the deck the right way because if you're let's say you're okay you're you're gonna thought seize away my um whatever my payoffs but if you play it with trail of crumbs trail of crumbs beats red black if it goes long because you you're getting Two artifacts that become threats, then when they try to kill it, you can sacrifice it. Yeah, I, th- I think there's just a lot more there than people realize. Like, the the blood generator, <laughs> you'll have to help me again. It, it makes a blood and a 1-1 one, one, uh, <laughs> artifact that, like, is three mana tap, get two creatures back from the graveyard. Blood fountain, yes. Yeah. That card is really good. I thought that card was awesome. I 5 would with it in, like, a crazy Jun shell. I had a bunch of 4-1s in blue-black. And those cards don't do anything. <laughs> like, the cards functionally do nothing. Mm-hmm. These cards do something, because this thing by itself can attack for six on turn three, if nothing else is, happens. So even just against control, you just... Okay, they leave up counter magic, like, mm. attack you for six. That's true. Okay. <laughs> I mean, no two-drop can attack for this much damage by itself. <laughs> All right, so you're saying we we blew it on Tough Cookie because it's it's way better than I thought. I don't I don't think blew it. I just think... That's the one I want to positively affirm is like you guys thought it was cool. I think Lawson said it was like a sweet card. I actually think the card's just going to be really good. I just want to like mentally prepare people. This isn't like a Saffron Olive in like week seven of the format, like meme time. Like this card is just going to be really good in Pioneer. Like week one, I will be week one? 4-1-ing or 5 0 with this deck. Okay. I will be 4-1-ing or 5 0 with this deck. All right. <laughs> I like that. Week one. Promise has been made. If he doesn't get the 5 he's going to bake a batch of gingerbread cookies. And <laughs> and ship them out to the... <laughs> to one patron. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you guys were talking about how there aren't blue-black decks that want to play creatures uh, when talking about the 3-4 fairy. Yes. And we have an awesome article by Law 11 that describes <laughs> such a deck uh, in, in uh, almost okay. pornographic detail. It's a spectacular article. We'll get to it later. So I just want to just... There's lots of blue-black decks that do want to play creatures including the Capnet list, including my 5-0 list from last week, including the multiple 5-0 list from Law 11. So Now, whether the fairy is good enough or not is a different question. Is it ever better than, like, the fourth, um, you know, Shieldred? I think that's an open question, but maybe that maybe it isn't. So this card is Talion, the Kindly Lord. It's the 3-4 flying Demir punisher it's a very strange text you choose a number between one and ten does that part of the card speak to you david like do you feel like there's a way to exploit like choosing a specific number in pioneer or not yet so you guys asked the exact right question which is if we got to activate this all the time is it better then you answered incorrectly which is if it activated every turn you said it would be worse than shieldred that is 100 false (laughs) If this activated every turn, it would be the best four drop in Pioneer, not even close, and better than multiple banned four drops. Um, 
but, but, but your question is the correct one. Will it be activated every turn? And that's really hard to say. At first, I thought this card was going to be very good because the best cards in red, black by far, although everyone wants to talk about banning fable, the best cards in red and black are one mana. So you just set it on one. They are going to cast Fatal Push and Thoughtseize. They're going to probably cast like six of them in the game. The problem is like the first three casts of these cards are going to happen before this card ever comes into play. So you're not actually going to get that much value from it. And then like against Mono White, you can say two and you'll always get a card because they have to play a removal spell or a creature out. All their removal has either two power or two mana. But if they don't have the removal, then Shielded is better. So, like, this is only better if they do have interaction. Mm. You know what I mean? So, it, it, you have to, like, Shieldred unanswered is the better card. So, do you want to play for, like, the best case scenario? But Shieldred in interactive matchups is much worse. Often against red-black, Shieldred doesn't do anything. It just dies immediately. I've, I've been killing lots of Shieldreds. My opponent has been killing my Shieldreds. And it doesn't do anything. It's just a four-mana card that, you know, puts tap two mana, discard a card from your hand is, is all it does. And put itself in the graveyard. So this card is better than that in those specific matchups, unless they feel like they never have to kill it, but then you have to like pick a card that they will cast. So I think the Punisher mechanic actually means that it's probably not going to see play. I just think it's for a bunch of different reasons other than the reasons that you guys stated is, is like, you came to the right conclusion incorrectly. Fair enough. Fair enough. So you're like a little bit higher on Talion. But still, still. Skeptical. If you could get, a, if you could find a way to make it trigger every turn, I mean, it's going to be insane. But your opponent, unfortunately, gets to decide. So we know that invariably, Punisher mechanics are much worse than we think. And then the question becomes like, okay, fine, it's really good against Red Black Sack. It's really good against Mono White. But is it actually good against Control? I mean, probably not. <laughs> is it? Is it good against? Um, Mono green, probably not. So, I mean, against red black sack until they kill it, you're gonna just draw like six cards and do six to them. I mean, I hope so, unless they just have fatal push they've been sitting on. Right, but but, but let's imagine that in that scenario, they just they get to fatal push it right away. It's way better than shielded when you say one, right? Yeah. It's you're up a full card and two life. That's that's a big difference. Yeah. So true. it's better than children in all the worst case scenarios, and then it's worse than children unanswered. So just like, are you just a dreamer? <laughs> you should just play children. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that's tough cookie. That's Talion, the kindly lord. Did we blow it on any of the others? I agree with you that the text on the five mana planeswalker is awesome. Um, mm. I did want to mention one card, which is <laughs> you'll have to help me again, Dan. The four mana artifact, you can pay 50 life to do 50 damage. <laughs> yeah, you sent me like <laughs> a picture of this card, Etherflux Reservoir. Yeah, Etherflux Reservoir and Urion. And I do, do want to point out, Nykthos is not banned. There have been a plethora, uh, they're a little dated now, but of like white black or mono white style, like mid range list that play like three Nykthos. Karn, because your Urian sideboard is bad, so Karn is better in these Urian lists, because you're not going to get to use your sideboard anyway. So you don't even have to play Reservoir. You can just play it as a one-of in your Karn board and just hmm. fetch it with Karn whenever you need to. Um, and then whatever, you play four of these Planeswalkers. So you're just like a mid-range list that has this combo way to win in the middle of it. 
Oh, so you're serious. I, I thought you were just memeing, but I guess what you're saying is the actual mana spent is four for the reservoir, and then at any point, now you immediately play the Ashiok, pay the 50, 50 cards off your deck to shoot them for 50. There's no interacting with that yeah. besides like spell peers. So yeah, if you wanted to go like all in, all in, <laughs> you could make uh, your deck have a bunch of like, there's a bunch of three mana ways to tutor for artifacts. Mm-hmm. So you're just like all interaction, like Thoughtseize, Duress, Removal. That's all your two mana spells. Three mana sorcery, get this into your hand. Four mana, play the artifact. <laughs> and then you just have to find the Planeswalker in a fifth land and, and you win the game. Okay, that's pretty funny, actually. Do you want to play Karn plus one on the board? That's eight mana to do it. Or do you just want to play like four of them? And then you need to find a way like... Okay, how can we gain other life, right? Like maybe you want to play like other things that gain life just so the reservoir in theory could do something. Or maybe it doesn't matter. I mean, like the reservoir is a really dead card unless you have some other way to use it, right? Like tough cookie can turn into a (laughs) four, (laughs) four. It sees some play as a combo finisher in decks that are like storming off, but I don't think this deck you're describing is going to try to do that. Um, yeah, I think you'd have to live with the fact that this can only be activated if you find your Planeswalker. There are cards to tutor for the Planeswalker, too. The two and a white card from Kaldheim tutors up a legendary permanent or something. And you gain three life if three... Yeah, Search for Glory? Something yeah. Like that, or is that the snow one? Yeah, you gain three life if you, t- if you tap three snow mana to cast it or something like that. So if you have an 80-card library... You need 50 cards in the library to pull this off. <laughs> so you have a few turns to pull this off. But basically, yeah, okay. it, the normal course of play, like, you, you're, if you ever draw these two cards together in your top 25, as long as they aren't like Thoughtseize or whatever, they will win the game. And there is no, basically no main deck interaction for the four mana artifacts. So you can just play it and wait <laughs> just to hope to draw your guy. All right. I'm more interested than I thought I would be. It's, it's at <laughs> least like you can at least imagine like Saffron Hall playing this to like a two, three, right? In a league, like the basic mm. shell I'm describing. I'm not saying it would be like awesome, but there, there's a way to, to do stuff with it. That's true. True. Okay. I'm in. And it is worth noting the uh, artifact you guys are describing is just like a reasonable play, like play that on three. It can tap to cast push or thoughtsies. The next turn it can ramp to it. It can draw to find your four mana artifact that wins the game. So you'd play like four of those three mana artifacts and then four. Oh, <laughs> Staff of Completion, the yeah. one where you pay life to do all kinds of stuff? Yeah. Like that card is, is also just very good with this. And the Planeswalker like does draw every turn. So it, it helps you find True. the four mana artifact. I mean, this is not a good deck. I, I, I'm not saying this deck will be good, but th- this is like a playable shell. It's like the whole deck is all good removal, all the good white and black removal, and then <laughs> or it doesn't even have to be white if you don't want it to be. It could be blue and black. Yeah, maybe I was too harsh on it. I was thinking if it's just a combo card, the combos are too complicated. If it's just a fair card, it's just not doing enough. But you're describing a pretty plausible sounding combo in which, you know, the Ashiok is allowed to just be a fair card until you combo. Right. Maybe that's fine. Okay. All right, so Eldrain's actually looking pretty good then, at least for Pioneer, of the first uh, six or seven cards. Yeah, I, I unfortunately thought you were 100% accurate, incredibly eloquent uh, in describing why that other card was really poorly cast and, and won't be used in Crabvine. 
Oh, the cruel somnophage. Yeah, your your points are all like immaculate. Like, why is it so expensive? Like, what the hell? <laughs> I just don't get it. Like, you can see that it has all these little knobs, and they must have tested it very carefully and tweaked it. And then every time they just decided to make it a little bit worse. I just, suspect just even safe. the wonderful, you know, Michael Majors, Carmen Handy, they didn't spend any time playing crab vine. <laughs> They're oh, pretty no, busy no. people. No, no, no. <laughs> That's true. I'm, I'm sure testing for the new three-year rotation standard. Um, but it's like they're cautious on that, but we just have to live with you can't play like two toughness creatures for two or three mana ever for the rest of time because of Bone Crusher Giant. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Huh. All right. So that's Wilds of Eldrian. I mean, previews are kicking off next week. That means our next show we can start diving in. But that's not all that's coming. So here's what's coming in the next three years, David. For most of these sets, we only have names and rough concepts. So this is more of a flavor discussion, I, I suppose. After Eldraine is Lost Caverns of Ixalan, which will have a Jurassic World Universes Beyond crossover. You'll be able to open um, the T-Rex or Velociraptors in your booster packs. Lore-wise, it's not really going to pick up on the same storyline at all. It's just going to happen to be set on the same plane. They've talked about some kind of underground empire, a hidden world, a lot of purple in the arts, which if you're a dinosaur like myself, um, a human dinosaur, not a T-Rex dinosaur, you may recall the discussion of the sixth color of magic from when we were kids, David. Were you around for this? I do, yes. Which is sort of what colorless became, right? Like, Yeah, I think so, yeah. It must have been during either during or immediately before the first great designer search one of the contestants proposed the sixth color, and everybody had been talking about this before for years before this. Cave mana, which is like purple mana. And I'm just I'm just wondering if that's what we're gonna see. It seems completely implausible. Like it just wouldn't work, but I mean the clues are all there. Yeah, Ixalon famously very weak the first time through. So I suspect there will be a lot of push cards because they're gonna want to move beyond that conception of Ixalon. Hmm, maybe. All right, so that is the winter release. Going into 2024, Murders at Karlov Manor, a top-down murder mystery with a clue crossover, or Cluedo, depending on which part of the world you're in. Uh, they're also simultaneously releasing a game called Ravnica Clue Edition, which is a new way to play multiplayer magic in which you solve a murder mystery. So it's not a board game, it's not quite magic, but it's, it's sort of magic. And the artwork looks looks pretty fun. I think this... Seems like a fun set to me. I love clues. I think they're my favorite of all the tokens that they've built. So uh, I'm, I'm excited that we'll probably have another sweet like clue generator. Oh, okay. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I like that a lot. Next up, a new world, Outlaws of Thunder Junction, a Wild West set where the villains of the multiverse gather. Now that something happened with Phyrexians and regular people can traverse the Omen Pass to cross between worlds, you can have regular villains, not just Planeswalker villains, gathering in the Wild West. Let me ask you this question. Is there any guns? I know there's like weapons. Obviously, people wield spears and swords and magical bows mm. and everything. There's no gun though, right? The first thing I'm thinking of is like Portal 2. Uh, they had some muskets. <laughs> oh, I did think it? Since then, no, not unless you go all the way up to the like Warhammer or Commander decks. I think that had guns. Um, okay. Or maybe Walking Dead had 
the the Wild West makes me think about it, right? Of course, you imagine the two guys, you know, under with the Sergio Leone score happening, and yeah, yeah. You know, I just started listening to um, the audiobook of uh, Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn books four, five, and six, and for this part of the series, like technology has advanced, so now it's they've all got guns and magic. And it's like, I don't know. I'm just not into it. It's just, it doesn't feel right to me. <laughs> like he does a good job trying to imagine how this magic system would interact with bullets, but it just doesn't feel like the same kind of story. So I'm okay with guns, just not really being part of the multiverse, but we'll see. Yeah. I, I mean, and just in my personal life, I don't care for guns either. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. All right, so we have four nice standard releases, and then in spring or summer of 2024, we have Modern Horizons 3. Modern Horizons 3. It'll be nice to have a set that like actually changes modern, since uh, Lord of the Rings was uh, designed not to do that. <laughs> oh, man. I just was not emotionally ready for them to announce this set. You know, Having just had that discussion last week with Lawson about what we think of the current state of modern, knowing that we were going to get the BNR update today, which we'll talk about in a minute, to then have them promise great things with MH3, where it just it reminded me that they have to test these things so far in advance. Like they probably tested this a year ago, put the finishing touches on the cards. Maybe now. I doubt that they would change it much beyond now. Um, because they gotta print it and get it all distributed in time. So how I mean, how accurate can it be? With that timeline in mind, you start to see like the thing is that we didn't like about MH2, where they just, you know, picked a few random decks and just juiced them. It's just, you know, eh, well, we don't know what the metagame's like, but we know that these archetypes exist, so let's just give them some juice cards and make them a little bit better. Like, I wonder if that's all you can do. I mean, somehow they haven't had to ban a card from MH2 yet, so <laughs> whatever they did, I mean, wasn't that wrong. I, I think that just the concept of not using the filter of standard to go into modern to to turn the format over makes sense from a financial perspective, but fundamentally is is bad game design. Yeah, I mean, I guess if we just allow modern to be its own thing and just forget about any connection to standard. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what people have decided to do, but like, I just stopped playing modern. I don't want to. That yeah. That is what we ought to do, and I don't have to do that. <laughs> and I even record a magic podcast frequently, so... <laughs> It's just sad because you love modern, or you, you did. You love what it used to be. I loved modern, yeah. That that dream is dead. Like, the decks that we brewed are just preposterously, <laughs> comically weak compared to what's happening right now. It's so funny. You know, we, we 5 0 with two separate lists that we brewed up that first week. That's kind of how we, you know, made our name on Reddit or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, those decks are so bad. I suspect you cannot win a match. <laughs> right. That's... <laughs> That's very true. A match. You'd have to pull a, a mana symbol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That reminds me. I have to go back and delete episode one. Don't listen to episode one. It's, it's real bad. But we did 5-0 with the... Everybody go listen to episode one. <laughs> with a Bant monkey form deck. You neoform your Strangleroot Geist to get a Renegade Rallyer or a evolution sage to proliferate and <laughs> proliferate twice onto your young wolf and your experiment one great deck god that, that was a sick deck all right so beyond this now we just have some some flavor shout outs bloomboro a world with no humans kind of red wall theme the artwork looks amazing it's animal world the artwork looks awesome um said to be very adorable so who, who knows what that'll be but 
good. I'm excited for that one. And then to capitalize on those good vibes, we go immediately to Duskmore and House of Horror, an entire plane set inside of a haunted house um, with modern horror tropes. I'm not totally sure what that means, but I guess they, they felt like there's a segment of horror that they haven't gone to yet with all the previous Innistrads, so this one's going to be really, really gross. Yeah, modern horror is like really lame. I liked the classic horror. I think uh, Innistrad is one of like one of the coolest worlds they've created, so we'll, we'll see how Duskmore turns out. That brings us into 2026, 25. I'm, I'm not quite sure where we are, but at this point, we don't have the names. We just have settings. So there will be a set called Tennis, which is a death race across three different planes. A set codenamed Ultimate Frisbee, which is a return to Tarkir. Another Universes Beyond crossover, this time the Final Fantasy franchise. And I put this one on here because they specified that this is a tentpole release. I'm not totally sure what that means, but it is coming to Arena. I'm wondering if that means this will also be legal and modern. They have not said that, but it sounds like this is like a bigger deal than some of the other crossovers like Assassin's Creed or whatever. Like, Are you a Final Fantasy player? Uh, I'm not. I'm not that familiar with it. Yeah, I don't think I've played since like Final Fantasy three, <laughs> thirty five years ago or whatever it was. It seems like it could be a good fit flavorfully. I mean, it's a huge property, so it would make sense to me if this if this becomes like the the next Lord of the Rings set, Modern Horizons three and a half, something to tide you over until Modern yeah. Horizons four <laughs> next year. I, I I agree, especially I think the um, Lord of the Rings set has sold a lot. Like I, I think a lot hmm. of people have bought the packs. Finally, the last four worlds on the agenda are something called Volleyball, which is set in outer space, um, described as a space opera. So Luke Skywalker, uh, I'm not sure what to expect from this. After that, a return to Lorwyn, a return to Strixhaven, and then something called Ziplining, which is the finale of the current story arc, the Omen Path arc. So David, I mean, when you see all this laid out, does this do anything for you, or are you not really a flavor guy? Well, I'm, I'm very famously not a flavor guy. Um, I like when the art is better as opposed to worse. But, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like Strixhaven to me was a really cool idea. But because the cards weren't playable, then there's no resonance for me as a constructed player. Obviously, I play a very limited. There's just there's one playable Strixhaven card and it got banned. <laughs> Everything else died to stomp. I mean, it wasn't even standard playable, basically, the entire set. So. It's just unfortunate that happened. Same with Ixalan. Like, I have nothing against playing a bunch of pirates and dinosaurs and stuff. They just didn't mm. make the dinosaurs good enough. And so that was just, it's just lost in history. If you don't play the cards, then it doesn't matter how rich your world is. Hmm. Fair enough. Fair enough. And it's like a set like Eldraine, we think of as super powerful, which it was. But because so many of the cards are banned, <laughs> it actually doesn't have as much resonance as it might. It, the cards got banned out of standard, so people remember it very not fondly um, because the, it, was a, it was a tough time for standard. And then many of the cards got banned in Pioneer. So really just like Fires is kind of all that lingers along with the Cat Oven thing, which people like honestly hate. Um, and the Cat Oven thing wasn't even that good in standard. So it's just like these sets get remembered in a very strange way, right? Like True. When you're experiencing this set in real time and we talk about, we go through spoiler season, how good is this? Well, in 10, in three years, like we're left playing like three of the cards and whatever those are, that's how we remember the set. 
Yeah, and it has almost nothing to do with flavor. Eldraine had beautiful flavor. Yes. It's just complete chance that that's also one of the most broken standard releases of all time. So should those legacies be decoupled? I guess we'll see. I mean, if Tough Cookie is any indication, Wild of Eldraine is going to be broken. <laughs> and that's only an uncommon. We don't know what the rare version of the... That's right. The tough lasagna or whatever is going to be. Yeah, I mean, Sir Ginger, there's a ginger brute planeswalker, although I guess she's not a planeswalker because planeswalkers yeah, we, are dead now. Yeah, we've seen the one planeswalker. True. This is a major victory for you, David. <laughs> oh, you know, in in the end, it took him 10 years, but all roads lead to Robertson. I was right the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> so was your critique basically that this is just a stupid design as a card type? The, the major problem that Planeswalkers have, which is something that Sagas have, which is something that Battles have, is they really, 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 really overemphasize the play draw. Mm. And as they push creatures to be able to threaten Planeswalkers more, play draw matters more than ever. So if you made a Planeswalker that was good enough to overcome creatures, I'm just going to say Oko is the archetype because we're talking about Eldraine. Then the play draw thing is absolutely insane. Like Oko lets you kill the other person's Oko before they can ever block. And so the play draw was like goose on one goose on one you could never win um so creating a sub game is terrible and that's why why a lot of cards get banned right it creates a different sub game where like do you have counter magic or thought sees if you don't my combo doesn't interact with creature removal or whatever um and then the planeswalker creating a sub game and then the, the play draw uh, thing and then as you pointed out the depth of design, like there's only so much you can have a Planeswalker do and not be broken. Hmm. And if you start having it do less than that, it doesn't do anything, right? So like they were printing like three or four Planeswalkers a set that nobody was playing with. Yeah. The explanation that they gave was a story explanation, you know, changing and resetting the cosmology of the multiverse, basically. But I suspect the real explanation is they just had to consume so many design resources, tweaking and tuning these cards and they have to err on the safe side, so they end up being just, like, forgettable cards. For 10 years, David's been pointing out that Planeswalkers are not good for the game, and the rebuttal was always, oh, but they're popular. Players love them. Turns out that maybe players love having heroes, but if you have to keep printing unplayable or unexciting Planeswalker cards, it's hard to, like, justify it on players love Planeswalker cards. Yeah, and, and you know, like fundamentally, fundamentally, every five mana planeswalker is plus to go up a card or a card like resource, minus to protect itself by either destroying something or making a blocker or two. Every five mana planeswalker. This new five mana planeswalker minus us to make two creatures. The last five mana black planeswalker <laughs> minus to make two creatures. And that all that changes is static. The other one added a uh, loyalty when a creature died, right? The mm -hmm. Lolth. And this one has a super unique. Static text. And but they know, like, so that's why they've had to add all these static text to make these cards seem more different than they are. But we know with Karn and Teferi, so one is banned and Pioneer, the other people want banned. These static texts are like really dangerous. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is why they put they stick this cool static text as you and I would see it on a five mana planeswalker, because there are lots of ways to break this. If it was a three mana planeswalker that plus to do something, it would actually be borderline broken. Yeah. Yeah. Other news to come out of this Gen Con announcement was arena news. So Pioneer Masters is coming to arena and they have again stated the goal of having something called Tournament Pioneer. Tournament Pioneer by the end of 2024. 
presumably that means all the irrelevant cards will be on the platform by the end of next calendar year. Starting with uh, Cons of Tarkir, the entire set, not remastered. Cons of Tarkir with Fetchlands is coming to Arena, so uh, Historic is going to get juiced quite a bit with the Fetchlands. And yeah, adding, adding Cons means they're only a few sets away now from whatever Tournament Pioneer aspires to be. I want to give a quick shout out to Saffron Olive who said, Lotus Field is a dark horse to get banned even though it's not good anymore because they don't want to have to program in Cypher. To your point about relevant cards, mm-hmm. because the card hidden strings, people forget Cypher. It was a super cool ability, but it wasn't on a lot of playable cards. <laughs> hidden strings is like maybe the best card in Lotus Field. You can, the deck doesn't exist without it and is not currently available online on Arena. So like program that in is actually like a huge challenge <laughs> and you would need to do it to simulate what Pioneer actually is on Arena. So, hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, well, that's a next year problem. Yeah. Um. <laughs> also, like, come on, people, stop playing Explorer. It's just embarrassing. It's like not a format. It's just Pioneer missing cards. It's so ridiculous that people are like, oh, the Explorer, uh, whatever. It's just like, what are you talking about? It's like if I built a modern tournament, it was just like, oh, you know, you can't play Solitude. <laughs> it's the same form. It's, 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 it's a modern minus, basically. Like, OK, what, what, what is the point of this? Oh, boy. All right, I'm going to change topics before I start getting more angry messages on Twitter. Since last time, someone was so incensed by your comments on Arena that um, you know, they, they lashed out. They said, keep Arena out your fucking mouth. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get it, David. You don't get it. I support this person. They should continue to spend a lot of money and time on Arena. <laughs> There's no question about that. Oh, boy. All right. August 7th. Banned and restricted announcements. The main course. Changes in modern, changes in legacy, and a small paragraph about Pioneer. <laughs> Where do you want to start, David? Well, I think we have to talk about modern. They finally unbanned a card, which is what I was saying they should think about doing. Preordain is unbanned. Preordain, blue sorcery. Scry 2, draw a card. That's it, right? That's it. Don't need anything more than that. Okay, so we'll get into why that's the case, but before talking about Preordain, I do want to follow up on last week's conversation, because if you listen to Lawson and I, we were not super pleased with the state of Modern. We had some, I don't know if you'd call them predictions, more like wishes. I think Lawson was accurate in saying the chances of no changes are extremely high, but we were interested in at least seeing something said about cards like Fury or or the Evoke Cycle. (laughs) We don't like Cascade. And then, of course, the One Ring and Orcish Bowmasters. Now, the latter two did get a couple paragraphs here in the announcement. So let's take a look at what they had to say about those cards. David, what's the assessment of the One Ring and Orcish Bowmasters? Uh, I'm not going to read all this, but basically they said that they thought that the metagame in um, the Pro Tour was acceptable, was positive. They are aware of the sort of play pattern problems of the One Ring and Orcish Bowmaster, but they're counter argument if you want to say that is that games are not decided in a runaway fashion by either a one ring or orcish bowmaster going unanswered and they think they lead to uh, longer inter- inter- interactive games with a lot of back and forth um <laughs> they mentioned urza saga fetching a haywire might to destroy um the one ring so we're just not even playing any <laughs> cards that ever with their standard i guess uh except for haywire might um but they did say that the, the play pattern on these is a little concerning. 
and that uh, they're worried that Oakridge Bowmasters is uh, suppressing the sort of classic modern cards that harken back to its uh, legacy beginning, uh, like Ragavan, the nimble pilfer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Free Ragavan. <laughs> you gotta get Bowmasters out of the format so I can play my Ragavans again. It is funny though, like if you just wait long enough, then then Ragavan becomes part of like modern's history, right? At some point it will have been legal if if years pass, it doesn't get banned or, or power crept out. It will have been legal longer and modern than it before it was printed, right? If you just go far enough into the future. So I actually if people will indulge me here, <laughs> this argument comes up a lot. So like my partner Katie is a, a bee researcher, an entomologist. And the honeybee, people might not realize, is not native to America. So she also is in uh, her lab with a lot of like kind of hippy-dippy chicks who are incredible researchers in their own right, and they study native bees. But the argument the bee people always get into is like, all right, when do we just move beyond native? <laughs> like, human beings came to North America, whatever, 50,000 years ago, 30,000 years ago. Hmm. You know, like, the bees came here like hundreds of years ago. Like, at a certain point, the native talk it's like wildly irrelevant <laughs> you know I, I, <laughs> I did not know that about honeybees homo sapien is only technically native to africa and even at one point we were you know freshly evolved <laughs> species so i don't know it's just at a certain point it's like the living memory of all of us is with honeybees in um america right and and finding out that like being pro honeybee is sort of a pro environmental position it's it helps plants, it, it helps pollinate flowers, it helps, uh, you know, provide uh, food. There's always those pictures of, like, the foods you can't have if the bees all die. But if you want to get, like, very narrow about it, yes, it's an inv quote-unquote invasive species. So you're saying the honeybee is Ragavan or the honeybee is Renin 6? The honeybee is like Ragavan in the sense that if you're a younger person, maybe Lawson's not that young, but you can imagine an even younger person than him saying the modern, as I've always understood it, has always had Ragavan. It's crazy I can't play these Ragavans that I love because these crappy new cards like Orcish Bowmasters are getting printed. <laughs> so like the, the mom and pop shop, right? It's like when people got mad at Barnes & Noble for putting all these small bookstores out of business, but then people got mad at Amazon for putting Barnes & Noble out of business or whatever. <laughs> it's like, oh, this, this different corporate overlord is even bigger than Barnes & Noble. I'm just having a physical bookstore to go into. <laughs> Okay. All right. I'm convinced. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> ah, man. Okay. So they said the one ring and bowmasters are quote on our radar, on our radar. They're going to be keeping an eye on these. <laughs> so you're not totally in the clear to buy them yet. Nah, you probably are. You're probably in the clear to buy these. Especially bowmaster. I think the fact that the ring is colorless exacerbates um, some of this because it can go quote unquote in every deck. I mean, basically, in a deck that's going to comfortably play a, its fourth land on turn four. Just the part about Bowmaster suppressing one toughness creatures just made me very sad because this is now the third card that has this is a third mass extinction of one toughness creatures. First, there was Ren and Six, then there was Fury, and in between that was Lava Dart, <laughs> kind of mini mini extinction event. So it's Modern Horizons 1, yeah. <laughs> Modern Horizons 2, and then the third directly printed to Modern. So the fourth one is going to have like a black creature that's 1-1 one, one, that just kills all <laughs> one toughness creatures and like Jester's caps them out of your opponent's deck or something. I just don't know what to do. I mean, I like playing creatures. <laughs> I like playing creatures with one toughness. I wanted them to at least say Fury's name somewhere in this announcement. They did not. No mention of that. <laughs> You sound like a, 
the dude in Breaking Bad and like say my name. <laughs> You're Heisenberg. You're goddamn right. <laughs> I want you to acknowledge that Fury is doing damage to people <laughs> out there somewhere. They said when the metagame preview for the Pro Tour was showcased, it was initially concerning. These are concerning numbers. 20% Rakdos game is not normal. They only they interviewed the players, they talked to people, and they Isn't the Rakdos scam th- phenomena really just them banning Urian, though? Like, Urian was just beating up on scam. Can we get more to confirm this? Is this just a better mid range deck? So, so it was like banning Urian was the mistake? There's no new card printed into Scam other than just Bowmasters, I guess. So last week when Lawson and I talked about the failure of four-color Omnath, which was, I think, the second most popular deck, it actually has a great Scam matchup. That's probably why so many people chose it. The problem is that it just got dunked on by everything else, especially Tron and, to a lesser extent, Amulet. So if you think of that as the successor to Urian, that's still a valid way to beat Scam. It's just not going against the rest of the field. So it's like the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of a deal. Something like that. I, mean, I guess Tron is the problem. I don't know. So is Scam only good against Tron because it can play Blood Moon? And Ragaman can let you play it on turn two? There were a lot of Scam versus Tron matchups in the Pro Tour. So we got to see a lot of different angles of attack. It turns out that Dolphy... I watched uh, Mr. Beardsley. Congratulations to the uh, rookie Pro Tour champion. I saw him play a lot of turn two Blood Moons against Tron. I was like... Jesus, these games are crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think that was what the final game of the finals. Um, there was also a game where he just stole it with turn two Dothy Voidwalker into Thoughtseize, taking an Ulamog. <laughs> and this is something that Bomag Courier uh, was talking about that you know he felt like Dothy Voidwalker is the strongest card in that matchup. Um, it's just so threatening you just steal a game that way. Which is kind of counterintuitive because it doesn't seem like Voidwalker does anything against Tron, but I mean, you have a lot of ways to just force them to discard something big. Anyway, that's the modern we're going to know and love for the next year uh, until, or at least until MH3 comes out. Yeah, and, and, and the problem with, I would say the one issue with modern, again, because they push the power level so much, you can't imagine, although certainly cards can affect things, but Eldraine will likely only have a very small number of playable cards in modern. Likely, yeah, likely. That being said, there is big news. Big news, we have, for the first time in a long time, an unban in Modern. Preordain is unbanned, effective immediately. They give their rationale here. So Preordain and Ponder were banned at the same time in the earliest days of Modern. They added consistency to powerful is it combo decks such as Storm and Splinter Twin, which are... You know, as all modern players know, these are, you can't go to FNM right now without running into a powerful is it combo deck like Storm or Splinter Twin. And the rationale at the time was, you know, they get into how it used to be a turn four format. They wanted it to be a little bit harder to find your pieces, etc., etc. Basically, modern is unrecognizable from those days. And we've talked about this many times over the years. <laughs> you have many opportunities to unban cards. I'm kind of surprised, like, why preordain? Why now? Uh, the specific reason given was to help Blue-Red Murktide be a little bit better, <laughs> since Murktide is hurt by the release of Orcrush Bowmasters. But it, see, this is exactly my point. Blue-Red Murktide being described as just, like, classic modern <laughs> deck. This is exactly like the guy, like, man, it sucks that Barnes & Noble went out of business because of Amazon. Yeah. Like, how old is Blue-Red Murktide <laughs> since Modern Horizons 2? That's, that's as old as it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, I think Dom Harvey made a similar observation. Like, why why Murktai? Murktai is good enough. Like, it's been good forever and just like happens to be it was still the sixth most played deck. Or is that right? Sixth or seventh most played deck at the Pro Tour. So blue, red, murktide, or just any fair blue deck. So this raises the immediate question, like, what are we going to do with Preordain? How good is this card? Yeah, to your point, I mean, it's a super sweet card. I mean, I, it was awesome in Standard way back when. Um, it was awesome in Modern for a while. I mean, you and I hated playing against Blue Red Storm. So I think at the time we were pretty happy it got banned. But we've really come to not think spending one mana to filter your draws is like worth doing these days. Especially at sorcery speed. No, like Serum Visions used to be a very commonly played card in standard, excuse me, in, in modern. Correct. You'd see it in Teamer Tron. You'd see it in all kinds of shells. Like it, it does not see play anymore. Snapcaster Mage was, was a mainstay with these cantrips. That doesn't see play anymore, really. So let me preface by saying I, I have not really played much with Preordain. I wasn't playing Modern for the brief period when it was legal. I didn't really play much of it in Standard either. So I probably just don't realize how good it is. But I don't think it's that different from Serum Visions. <laughs> like, scrying gets more powerful the more information you have. So having drawn the card immediately from Serum Visions gives you a lot of information to then scry too with. Yeah, obviously it's worse that if you draw... As your card for the turn in the middle of the game, if you draw Serum Visions, you're going to wish it was a preordain. But like a turn one, it's not a huge difference. So I'm not even convinced us of that they have an upgrade over Serum Visions. Of course, no one's talking about that because Serum Visions has been pushed out of the format for a long time. People are comparing it instead to Consider. Is preordain better than Consider? Is it worse than Consider? Does it replace it? Or do you play it alongside Consider? Yeah, I mean... Though they're so different, it's actually kind of hard to compare. Consider is much better in a deck that has a lot of instant speed cards. Now, the card counterspell is a huge reason why Murktide is so good, and that is an instant speed spell. So even though I think Preordain is significantly more powerful than Consider, you're, you're maybe willing to play the less powerful card um, to leave out counterspell uh, against a lot of the, you know, Tron, etc., etc., Preordain is much better at replacing lands, I would say. If you're someone like mm. me and you want to play 19 land for Preordain and like some of those land cyclers, you can't really do that with Consider. It just doesn't find lands, as we've learned the hard way <laughs> so many times. Um, is there advantages to playing so few lands? It you know, kind of moves you towards more of a legacy thing. The problem is that the cheap threats don't really line up unless, again, maybe you're talking about Murktide specifically. Grixis Death Shadow. Hmm. Yeah, I, I would treat Preordain as a land in my opening hand. A blue source and a Preordain. I don't actually want to calculate the percentages, but it's high enough that I at least get complaint equity if I play my Preordain and don't get a land off of it. The, the problem, though, is in the scam world, uh, as Lawson points out, <laughs> like if you play an MDFC or the, the thing that cycles for an island, like if you're on the draw, <laughs> you can just lose the game on turn one, which is kind of crazy. True. And if they scam you, they could take both. They could take a Preordain and the land cycler, and you're just like, oh, I just have a, you know, a Steam Vents. I, I cannot win this game. All right, so here's a couple of takes on preordain andrea mangucci uh murktide aficionado he says bye bye consider murktide players hype so 
Presumably he wants to replace Consider with Preordain. Aspiring Spike concurs, says he's expecting Preordain to be pretty good overall. It is immediately the best cantrip in the format. Todd Anderson comes down on the other side saying, I'm confident Preordain is worse than Consider in Modern. So happy to see it unbanned. I doubt it will have much of an impact. Whereas Spike is thinking, you know, he'd be casting a lot in a lot of different brews. He listed a bunch of decks he's interested in as the biggest winner could be Underworld Breach, for example. I find Todd's statement kind of interesting. I'm, I'm not trying to pick on him. He just says, would love to Snapcaster again. You don't Snapcaster in your preordained deck. That's a weird thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Main face Snapcaster into preordain. <laughs> it's like, okay, that all resolves. By the way, Bowmaster, kill everything you haven't played. Attack you for four. Yeah, that is kind of weird. You put it that way. Preordain is getting pushed out right now by Bowmaster. No one's even talking about that. <laughs> <sighs> All right, so any decks that you're eyeing here? Obviously, a Merktide. We can start there. Uh, Spike mentions Underworld Breach. So there is no Storm, the car that haunted Dan and I uh, 15 years ago when, you know, whatever, Obama was president. Um, but the Breach decks are the closest kind of thing to Storm, but they have a much better fair game, I think. And I think a better cantrip there probably has some value. So that, that would be my guess. I, I'm certainly not a modern player these days, um, but the fact that I was kind of thinking it and Spike said it, that's enough. Again, it doesn't seem that much better than considered to me in Merktide, but Andrea Mangucci knows a lot more about Blue-Red Merktide than I do, so if he thinks it's worth... He thinks it's obviously better. Um, but, you know, I, I, we're going to find out real quick. A Preordain is going to see a lot of play, like, in the next 10 days, and it, it is a very real chance it doesn't see any play, like, on day 11, and then <laughs> that dream's over, or if, you like... We'll know in, like, a week and a half. So you highlighted the Demir ring control deck this is the deck with orcish bowmasters the one ring sauron's ransom uh, we talked about this last week i saw a spike streaming this today preordain went live immediately after the announcement so people are jamming i'm sure by the time this episode is out there'll be a bunch of preordain uh, results to pick over basically it looks like spike cut two copies of sauron's ransom cut a force of negation and cut a land uh I'm not sure exactly what, what Shelly was working off of, but... Yeah, I love this. This is exactly what we're talking about. There's 18 lands, four preordained, four uh, Lorien revealed. Mm -hmm. So this is this is like a legacy-style deck. How did it look? Yeah, I didn't catch the matches. I just saw oh. he was trying this one out. Um, as, yeah, let's start, start by putting it into the known decks and see how it affects the smoothness of the deck, see if it allows you to change the land count. So nothing too shocking there. You know, finding your your overpowered cards like One Ring and Bowmasters is worth it. So it makes sense to dig a little bit more um, and a little bit more reliably and efficiently than Sauron's Ransom once you do. Yeah, and, and I mean, it just gives you more cheap plays, too, in your Murktide deck. I mean, that just... I mean, Sauron's Ransom basically didn't see any play at the Pro Tour. I mean, it's a super cool card, but it, it, I was surprised by how little people seemed to regard that when it actually came time to, like... You have to play this this deck for money. Do you think Sauron's Ransom is like modern playable? Nobody thought that they could find a shell that was good enough. Yeah, it was just this one, and it didn't do well, like the Demure Control. No, and not that many people played it. So I think the pros had found this deck and basically rejected it. Is is? I mean, Gabriel Nassif wanted to play Sauron's Ransom and just freaking stare at the piles for 
30 minutes of each round and, and even he couldn't convince himself to do it. So. All right. So these are known decks in which you might include preordain. What about the bruise? What about the unknown decks? Where do we go from here? Well, we have a great note here from Dak Faden 07, who was the guest brewer three shows ago, four mm-hmm. shows ago. That's right. And he is mentioning the card Dreadhorde Arcanist. And I do like the idea when you're in the slightly less powerful format, you reference back to the slightly more powered format. Uh, Law 11, we'll talk about that as well. Uh, uses that as a, a cool pioneer brewing hack. Dak Faden started using it in modern. Dreadhorde Arcanist banned in Legacy, which was something we couldn't fathom, but points out like Dreadhorde Arcanist now has a much more powerful, doesn't you don't have to buff its power or anything. It's a very powerful cantrip that it just has built in for no mana. So I, I, I it's an interesting thought process to uh, to bring Arcanist back. Arcanist has three toughness, which is very relevant. It lives through a ping and the block of the Bowmaster. Hmm. Unless it hits a cantrip. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just want to see Dak do his Dread Horrorcanist birthday escape deck. Like, I hope that Preordained does not cut birthday escape from the list. So that, that was such a sweet concept. Give your Arcanist Skulk. Give it uh, Ring Bearer status. Right. <laughs> so they can loot every time it attacks. That's so perfect. Okay, so that's that's one... That's one dream. Um, Dak also mentions, you know, a Grixis Merktide, now that you can have more cantrips, eight cantrips there. Blue-white control. Um, so Dak is thinking that blue-white control is already stronger than ever before with, with the one ring. And we have a note here from First Turn Negator saying that it's kind of interesting because you have to manage a Triome mana base because blue-white relies on Leyline Binding these days. So now, like, how many turns do you have in which you can afford to not use your mana because you're trying to fetch a triome and or play this one mana sorcery speed card. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that first turn negator points that out. That was, I was just thinking of the tension myself, right? A lot of times you want to play leave up the threat of doing something, but you're pretty much playing fetch triome. Now triomes are a terrible mistake, but that's a different discussion altogether. And then turn two, you kind of need to fetch for probably a tap shock, so you don't need to take so much damage, and you can still cast your one mana binding. So preordain doesn't fit naturally into those curves at all, which is, which is kind of a bummer. Yeah, that's interesting. Other decks being mentioned, um, prowess. Okay, sure. Dak Faden has a monastery mentor list. He wants to upgrade. Um, he notes that a lot of zoo players refuse to play bad cards like wild in the cattle. So maybe they'll just play preordain instead to grow their Tarmogoyfs. Yeah, Aspiring Spike is talking about decks like Neoform Combo, Twiddle Storm, uh, Reanimator decks with Goryo's Vengeance, maybe Phoenix? I'm, I'm not sure about Phoenix. I've been burned so many times by Phoenix. <laughs> the ability to surveil with Consider is, is very good. The ability to surveil three with Otherworldly Gaze is very good, so it's really just competing with Scour, and I'm not sure which of those is better. Or you want to go even like up to 16 cantrips, I'm not sure, maybe that's too many. Man, it's just so hard until we play the card. I mean, it does give you a lot of <laughs> ability to find cards, but not putting any extra cards in your graveyard is very relevant. Yeah, I was also wondering about uh, what's the Ascension that we used to like? Pyromancer Ascension. Oh, Pyromancer's Ascension. Like, you got to find your Ascension early <laughs> to get that card to do anything. And theoretically, that's what Preodin is really good at, but it's just it's just too vulnerable, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I don't, I don't know if you can get me to play that one these days. Last deck I want to note here, this is a sketch from Mord. <laughs> he posted this in our Discord today. <laughs> he wants to play Preordain with Council's Deliberation. Council Deliberation from Lord of the Rings, right? This is one in a blue. I don't even know what it does. <laughs> I think it draws a card, but the interesting part is that... <laughs> it's going to do more than that. If it's in your graveyard... Anytime you scry, you get to exile the deliberation from your graveyard to draw an extra card. Which was very cool until we realized there are no playable scry cards in modern, and here we have a scry card. So you can play Preordain now to get paid off with Council's Deliberation. I was wondering why Opt was in this list. I was like, is he just trying to be cute? Because I was like, oh, it's cool for that card to play Consider because you could put the deliberation into your graveyard for free. Right. Because right. you don't want to cast the front half. It's exactly like the um, See Through Time or whatever in Pioneer that we've tooled around with. You want to get it in your graveyard very naturally. And looking at Mord's shell, and this is admittedly just a sketch, I do not see how he gets it into his graveyard. I mean, he has to actually cast it. I get, it is an instant, but still. Oh, it's an instant. Yeah, it sucks. Isn't though. it? I'm not sure. If it's a sorcery, I, you're losing me in a big time hurry. It's oh, an instant. instant. Okay. Instant. I mean, can we just play the one three dude that loots when you cast your second spell, which is kind of good with Snapcaster Mage anyway? Oh, Ledger Shredder. And then like we've got the the best card to always put this in the graveyard. Just chuck it. Dragon's Rage Channeler, Ledger Shredder. Yeah. Yeah. I want some way to get it in the graveyard without having to <laughs> cast it. Two mana draw a card. He I mean I love Think Twice maybe more than is, uh, you know, emotionally healthy for a 40-year-old man, but we <laughs> can't be doing that in modern. Two-mana instant draw a card. I'm looking for cards that trigger whenever you scry. Hmm. There's like a theme. The There's like Elrond or whatever yeah, does exactly. something. <laughs> he puts a plus one, plus one counter on something. Ah, these cards just don't look very good. Hmm. All right. All right. Well, I'm sure there's going to be plenty more to say about Preordain in the coming weeks. Here's the thing, though. You don't have to play Ragaman because it's been chased out of the format I was hearing the other day about because of these Bowmasters. So you can play these red and other blue cards to put the console's deliberation in your graveyard. <laughs> All right. So that's Preordain unbanned in modern. Now we get to the fun part, which is the stuff they did not do. Uh, the cards that they did not unban, or the formats they did not touch, namely Pioneer. Maybe we should start with that, David. You know, this is near and dear to your heart. We got a full paragraph on Pioneer. We did. The metagame continues to have a widespread of playstyles and archetype representation. There are known pillars and creature-centric aggro decks. Their metagame share rises and falls to a healthy clip. Recent new versions of Lotus Field Control have gotten some attention, but its win rate and metagame share sit above where sit about where we would expect any reasonable deck to fall the lotus field control deck is absolutely horrific and i've just been absolutely roasting it so keep playing that one I do not play good blue white control i'm begging everybody <laughs> without a clear top dog or unanswerable archetype pushing other decks out we've elected for no change at this time an excellent decision i think there's few cards i could unban i am a you know i don't like playing karn i don't play nick those decks and i don't really like playing fable that much although i put it in decks of course so, like, I feel like I end up defending these cards I don't even brew around because I love playing against them. I think the games are interesting. I think the risk-reward ratio is right. 
Nykthos is the kind of weird outlier that does something that like no other card does. It's weird that Mono Green had a ban in the past where they banned Oath of Nyssa. They unbanned it, Mono Green got good again, and Oath of Nyssa is not even in the discussion for what ought to get banned from the deck, so that, that's more just a, like a Vonnegutian uh, irony, I guess. Okay, so you, you felt like, to, you agree with our assessment of the metagame, nothing is problematic. I would have been really upset if they had banned something. Uh, I think that'd be like very embarrassing for the format. And I think the people that call for bans like don't really understand what's going on or or maybe are like approaching the format in a strange way uh, or or have a very specific style they want to play. And maybe there is a deck that's specifically um, keeping their deck style out. And maybe they just need to, you know, read an excellent article by uh, Law 11 to sort of understand some Pioneer deck hacks. So we can talk about what this means for actual Pioneer, but maybe before doing that... Um, let's just talk about unbans for a second. <laughs> Things they could have done. Now that we know that they are at least thinking about unbanning preordain, they could have gone much further than this in both formats. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a, a large number of modern cards I think are reasonable to at least consider, and I think a handful of cards in Pioneer as well I would consider unbanning. We did a whole episode on this. Uh, maybe a year ago in modern. I think not much has changed since then. You know, I think we put like 20 cards on the would be probably fine to unban in modern. Yeah, I don't know if I agreed with all those, but there there's a handful for sure. Faithless looting died for Hogak's sins. Yeah, I'm not on the faithless looting. Should we get unbanned? I, I am a faithless looting activist. Yes, you are. <laughs> you are subscribing to the weekly newsletter. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. But yeah, there's plenty of stuff. I mean, there's cars that are just straight up bad, like Hypergenesis. Um, Artifact Lands, I think, would not move the needle that much. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't want to get into that too much. There's there's plenty of stuff you could unban in Modern. Bridge from Below. A birthing Pot is probably fine. The Red Red X spell that uh, Poison used to play, in fact, used to play that... Yeah, Blazing I mean, Soul. Hammer's just a billion times better than the theoretical deck that people would put this deck in, put this card in. Ah, that's that's true. Yeah. It's like, oh, you know, they would they used to animate this land that had infect, and then they give it plus nine. It was like, whoa, really? <laughs> <laughs> would they draw a card with a paladin in play and be able to do it every turn? <laughs> or would they just have to expose it for one turn? If you killed it, then the game was over. <laughs> So that's modern. What about Pioneer? All right. At the risk of being pedantic, they should, of course, ban the companion mechanic and unban Luris. Um, but fine. I think they should definitely think about unbanning Ballista. I think the mono white combo deck is like really healthy, really interesting. It's about the same power level. It would be terrible against red black. I mean, it, it would have a losing record against it by a lot. Um, you could unban Kethys. It's the kind of argument that a lot of cards in Modern have, though, where, like, if it's good, it's miserable, and if it's not good, it just doesn't do anything. But Kethys dies to all the combo, anti-combo cards that we're already playing since it dies to all the cards that kill Grease Fang for one mana. Um, people ha would have to play these cheap interactions for Grease Fang. They would play the same cheap interaction to kill Kethys. And all the graveyard hate that we don't, we kind of get to skip on. We get to bring that in at the same time. Also good against uh, against Grease Fang. So the same color deck, <laughs> same weaknesses. Um, 
people who talk about Ballista being too good because of Karn always confuse me. So it's like Mono oh, Green right. has eight mana and they don't get their eight mana artifact that kills my permanent and then kills me next turn. They just get a four, four ballista. And if mono green makes like 26 mana or whatever, the game's over. So I just don't understand like what specific mana extra mana green has lying around where ballista is better than uh, all the, the, the plethora of options. Yeah. That argument I think doesn't hold any water. I mean, sure. That would be annoying when they get a ballista, but, they were going to get something good no matter what. I don't think it's that big of a difference. Every time they get an 8-8 that destroys a permanent, turns it into a freaking thing that Karn doesn't even let you tap that thing for mana anymore. It's just like, man, this really sucks. <laughs> it's so much better than Ballista is at 8 or 6 or what. I mean, it's better 8 and up it's, unless you're it's Ballista that's actually built enough to kill you because it's, it's going to kill you next turn for sure and destroy another permanent. I find the continued ban of Walking Ballista very discouraging because yes you can use it with infinite mana to end the game but that's that's not all it does right it's such an important synergy card like a benchmark card in terms of how interesting and how powerful a card can be to like really improve archetypes like you know hardened scales in modern has has hung around because of ballista yes you yes. can play these pieces are exist in pioneer they just don't have the ballista to like really bring them across the line to playability all the artifact decks that we love to build would love to have yes. Ballista and it would yes. not even, it would just be a fair card there. A really interesting card. So I'm not even talking about the garbage, like blue white artifact decks that you and I would love. And we mm. play it as a two, two, a lot of times or whatever. Fine. We, we can agree <laughs> with those decks forever, but yeah, it would immediately create a borderline playable scales list in pioneer. Mm. And like, I have tried this list every, every set, they come up with another two couple, one or two cards. Um, Doomwake, a uh, excellent streamer. People should check him out. He tries it very often. People uh, donate lists to them. Every time it's terrible. So that <laughs> it would it would create a tier two ish, two three tier three version of that. And mono white would be a tier two ish, tier three deck. So by itself, unveiling this card creates two new decks that can three two ish. You know, like basically just have a winning record. And these, it doesn't create any unfair play patterns because all these cards interact with, first of all, Karn's still legal. <laughs> it shuts this card down by itself if you're worried about that. And um, these, these, these cards died of Fatal Push. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the normal removal people are playing. They're already playing like a Braid because uh, Bankbuster is so ubiquitous. So it, it doesn't even change any of those. So what, what, I, I just think this card would be really fun to play with. And I, I think the Mono White deck was not that good. Uh, it's just crazy that, yes, it's a combo deck in one sense, but it's really not a good one. Yeah, they they banned Ballista out of spite, just to spite the players because everyone was griping about combos with Demir Inverter, so they just went for all the combos. <laughs> the 2% of the Pioneer meta that was playing Kethis at the time, was like, your Kethis is gone. Heliod, that's a combo, that's gone. But Heliod can stay because that's the more recent card. That's a little bit offensive. So, so Kethis and Ballista, I think, are the easy unbans, in my opinion. And you get a lot. Maybe there's some minus, some negative minuses, a few games feel bad, but you get these, a lot of stuff opened up. And then I would think really, really hard about unbanning Looter Scooter and Nexus of Fate. Mm. Um, there's really no payoff for looting anymore. If you don't want to unban Nexus of Fate, you could think about unbanning um, Field of the Dead. Oh, wow. Which, again, was only really good with Uro. 
So they like banned Earl and this car at the same time. I think one or the other could be legal. And I mean, Treasure Cruise is just better than Earl and Pioneer. I, I don't think there's any debate about that. I, 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 the Earl ban is wild, but whatever. No one's ever going to believe me on that. But Nexus of Fate, like there is no Nexus of Fate combo. Getting up to seven mana is really hard in this format. And yeah, the, there's no Planeswalkers that help you do it because uh, they're all terrible. I, I don't know like what the fear is of what Nexus of Fate would do. Maybe it's just annoying. I'm trying to think of what you would do with it now. Maybe that six mana Chandra that has a static that doubles. Like without Wilderness Rec, without Wilderness Recreation, without Wilderness Recreation, Nexus of, and without Earl, Nexus of Fate just isn't that good is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't be good. Um, but it's kind of like an All Runs Epiphany type finisher, quote unquote. But yeah, that's not a good card either. So... <laughs> And we don't have the mana, you know, where you're thinking of like maybe this spike, like Wilderness Rec deck, where he would mm. Nexus of Fate and then, you know, flashback that um, the four mana instant from the graveyard for seven mana, look at your top seven and find it again. It's like, you can't do that. <laughs> you're going to have a hard time casting a seven mana spell. Uh, and I think the two one ones from All Runs Epiphany are almost always better than slightly increased chance of Nexus of Fate being in your deck. Hmm. And, you know, Scooter is in the, like, Fable um, or Expressive Iteration thing, where it's just, like, a very efficient two, three-mana play early in the game. The major problem, I think, with Pioneer is that the two-drops aren't very good because Bonecrusher Giant, like, keeps them all down, like, just normal, mm -hmm. aggressive two-drops. This doesn't die to Bonecrusher Giant. Uh, would it make Grease Fang maybe too good? I I'd be open to at least finding out the hard way. I mean, it got banned because of Mono Black Aggro. <laughs> so that deck doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, and people complain about Grease Fang anyway already without the scooters. So maybe the problem is not Smuggler's Copter. If if you find Grease Fang really annoying, you can you can take out Perhelion too. Like that would accomplish. If we actually believe that's a problem, I find that to be very strange too. Like Grease Fang's combo is allowed because you don't die that turn. You just die for sure the next turn if they get it to go. But these other combo decks like can't exist. So I, it's, it's always strange to me that like Grease Fang is allowed to exist. It's just such a strange, like that's that in Lotus Field are still like combo decks that exist. And I, it's not clear to me why, like why is Grease Fang better than on turn five? I can ballista kill you in my mono white deck that has no good interaction for anything else that's happening. <laughs> I have no idea why Lotus Field is still legal. Not, not for power reasons, just, like at the time, I think, what did they ban? Breach, right? And they're like, oh, this will take care of the Lotus Field deck. Yeah. <laughs> that did not happen. The most annoying combo deck survived. Well, the, the funny part is, at least if they breached, you knew for sure they had a win. So you could always have, you could just yeah. right-click concede. But now you have to wait. Like, maybe they don't get there. <laughs> Gripes aside, we, we have a real question, a real strategy question. This comes from the Faith Spring Discord from Monetary Mentor. And the question is this. With no bans in Pioneer, what does the format look like right now from a brewing theory standpoint? If we're going to brew something successful, what does it have to be able to do? Uh, for example, get under Lotus Field or answer a Grease Fang at instant speed, uh, have answers to Shale Dread, pick off turn one mana elves, etc. What are the truisms that y'all put a lot of stock in? Well, this is a question for you, David, because I know you think about this as you build your own decks and point out the failures of other brews like that PNLR deck. Yeah. So one of the things that you need to be able to do is if you aren't faster than 
some of these decks, then you have to interact with them. So you kind of have to decide what you're going to do. Like mono white does not interact easily with mono green. They don't kill the mana elf. They don't typically <laughs> kill Kiora, right? They just play out their board and, and kill their opponent. But most decks are not like that, right? They're not as fast as mono white and they aren't, they don't have Thalia as a natural disruptive element. So you have to interact with them. Um, Grease Fang is a little bit of anomaly in the sense that you can do it. On the other hand, Karn naturally stops Grease Fang's combo, uh, even without Karn fetching a graveyard uh, hate piece. Um, but yeah, so I typically think you have to play one of the following. You can either play the existing mono green or mono white lists. Those, those are fine decks. But otherwise, if you're going to play a deck that wants to interact, you have to play red or black or blue. Uh, red and black removal are good enough to interact at all stages of the game. You can play cards that kill turn one elf or can kill things later. Um, red actually has a better time against a Grease Fang-like threat because it can kill at instant speed much easier than black can, depending on the black removal you're playing. But the one-man removal from red does it easily. Like red-black sack can effortlessly kill um, Grease Fang on three. It's actually really hard for... Um, Red black mid range to do so, mm. and then you can play blue because you have counter magic. So those are kind of your options. You can't play mid. I've really found the hard way. You can't play mid range lists that don't have this kind of interaction. Okay, which is why you see um, decks like the Enigmatic Incarnation deck. Okay, that's a mid range list that's reasonably successful, and it does go over the top of red black. Right, that's a that's a buy matchup. But it really struggles against mono green and um, grease fang and like spirits. So that that deck is like almost the most polarized matchups in the whole format. It dominates red black. And I actually played a couple of really interesting games against it where I got a little lucky. So that, that deck shows you like that's as powerful as you can get. Incredible late game engine, very consistent. Karuga. I mean, it's all card advantage. But because of its answers are so limited, it really is going to struggle to uh, play against these other decks because it, it never can kill turn one elf, et cetera, et cetera. So I guess what I'm saying is you can break the rules if you're willing to live with bad matchups. And you can see these decks push, right? Mono white is faster than green. It, it's a great matchup, but it's really had a hard time transitioning its sideboard to beat red black after board. It has to play a bunch of removal because Shieldred can often win by itself, etc. So I think if you want to play a mid-range list, that's what I'll speak to because that, those are the kind of decks I like to make. Or a deck that's slower than mono green, which a lot of them are. You need to be able to kill turn one elf with removal that's still good late in the game. So you need to play red or black. Or you need to be able to counter magic. So you need to play blue. And, and you know, you can splash white in there. I 5 0 with that red-white list. You can play blue and black together because now they actually do have good creatures. Um, we're going to talk about an awesome article from uh, Law 11 here who's who's been experimenting. And I think he's honestly leaps and bounds ahead of me in terms of like the conception of the format as a whole. Um, I don't think answering Shieldred is a must, although it's nice to have an answer or two. Dan and I have both expressed frustration where we've been way ahead. Our board is, is unbeatable, but a lot of times we build decks that like to draw cards. So the way that we're accruing our advantage is also just killing us. So Shieldred puts us on a very short clock before we can win. Um, but yeah, th that's kind of what I've come down to is you cannot rely on white removal. I tried a bunch of shells, actually. We won't talk about them because uh, they were all just sort of embryonic. That was trying to use the um, 
three and a white. And whenever you play a land, you get a two, two or all your creatures get plus one, plus one in vigilance. Which card is that? Three and a white enchantment. And then it has landfall. You either make a two, two cat or all your creatures get plus one, plus one in vigilance. A Felidar retreat. Yeah. Felidar retreat. So you can do all this stuff, Felidar Retreat, and you can uh, play you know, play green creatures that let you play Demolition Field out of your graveyard and blow up all your opponent's lands. You're just so far behind, you just lose to... <laughs> you're not fast enough to beat the aggro draws from super aggressive decks, and you're not powerful enough to beat the combo decks in time, and you're too disruptible by counter magic. So that's a classic, like, that deck would have been good in standards of old, but it doesn't meet any of the rules that the format asks. Um, and so it, I'm not presenting it as a deck that people should play here. And one of the big problems it has is it doesn't have an efficient way to interact with early plays. It's funny. You, you mentioned a couple of times this article from Law 11, fantastic pioneer brewer, which we're about to get to. It's about wrecking our bank buster. But just as you were talking, a new article just dropped in the Faithless Brewing Discord. <laughs> La 11 responding to this exact prompt. Um, so I'm just comparing his answers real quick to what you've said. And it looks like La 11 is saying, okay, the, the top decks are going to be mono green and recto sec. So he wants to make his deck good against both of those. Uh, or he settles for a deck that's okay against those two and then actively good against the other top decks. Rakdos, Midrange, Grease Fang, Lotus, Combo, Human, Spirits, Creativity, and Phoenix in roughly that order. Okay, so a lot of specific comments here about uh, what kind of removal you should play in your sideboard to uh, achieve these goals, um, tidbits on what your curve should look like. The point is, you should all subscribe to Law 11's Substack, which is free, and it's called What If Brews, and you can uh, find some more takes from a, a bona fide pioneer expert, um, who I think is broadly in agreement with you, David, although he's um, more specialized in solving the form in a particular way. Yeah, but uh, he and I think about, I assume it's a he, I, I, I don't know. I uh, they, so. He and I, uh, I think, are also always considering our ability to interact is very important, like what tools we use. There's a reason we end up playing black a lot. Fatal Push and Thoughtseize are like two of the top four best cards in the format. For all this talk about Fable, it doesn't hardly see play in decks that don't have <laughs> Thoughtseize and Push. If you ban Thoughtseize, which is something they should at least consider, um, that would actually lead to like a wholesale shift in the format, how everybody interacts. Uh, and this cheap interaction lines up very well because black gets this cheap life gain in Shieldred. So the life loss doesn't matter. And they keep printing better and better two color lands. So you don't take very much damage from your lands anymore. So the, the penalty for Thoughtseize is actually very low. Mm. And it, it reduces the other opponent's strategy to nothing, right? It, it, doesn't it's very agnostic about what resources it takes it just trades a card for a card and a mana um so you know that's the other thing is like you, you should at least start with the idea that four push and four thoughtsies is just better than almost any other colors interaction those cards are still played all the way back to legacy if we're talking about previous formats you know nobody is playing um whatever the red <laughs> fake bolts were forced to play with nobody's playing sensor Right. So the only cards that we get to play in this format that are played in the decks that Mord was proposing and Aspiring Spike was proposing in Modern and are, are Fatal Push of Thoughtseize. I mean, you just posted a list from Aspiring Spike that had <laughs> those eight cards in the deck. Um, so that that's part of the problem with the format as well, I think, is Red needs a way better one mana uh, spell. The shock that scries when it does damage to them is just not good enough. 
maybe white needs a better removal spell that is mm. bad for control to have because we don't i don't think we want control to be better so i don't know what that card would be but i'd like a better portable hole that's like a constant frustration for me is yeah it just doesn't quite do enough no portable hole with the option to cycle or something yeah something like that so yeah i mean get moving on to uh, law 11's article he does a deep, deep dive into the card Reckoner Bankbuster. Now, if people have been following the five O drops, he has five O'd in consecutive uh, week deck dumps. I don't know how many times he's five O'd, but he's at least five O'd twice with this shell, which is four push, four thoughtsies, four Reckoner Bankbuster, four two mana removal. He, he it doesn't really matter what they are, but you know, like he's playing some number of go for the throw power word kill shielded edict. You can pick and choose. He plays 10 cards that can crew Bankbuster. I think on his second list, he settled on four graveyard trespasser, four shielded two Tassiger. Uh, and then he has like a, this pseudo combo finish with commit to memory. The memory triggering shielder does 14 to your opponent. Um, sort of gives you like an, an inevitability is playing no Delve spells. Uh, and I won't get into all the details. People exactly like Dan said should subscribe to his Substack. but he's thought a lot about how to interact in the format and has proposed a bunch of shells across a bunch of color patterns with Reckoner Bankbuster. And his reasoning is very solid that Reckoner Bankbuster is both threat and card advantage engine, so he's playing a ton of cards that can crew it. Reckoner Bankbuster draws into extra cards and those extra cards are cheap removal. He's playing two stubborn denial, then the eight one mana suite. So that's 10 one mana ways to interact and along with four two mana ways to interact. So all of his interaction is cheap. Um, Tasker is the only delve card. It's another way to crew Bankbuster, another way to turn on stubborn denial. Uh, it just It's a very interesting holistic way of thinking about the format. And he does talk about it, uh, Pioneer Deck Hacks, which is maybe a helpful guide uh, to the question asked in our Discord. So you may be thinking Reckoner Bankbuster, I mean, that's already a format staple, right? What, what's the big idea? <laughs> like people play, you know, a couple main deck even sometimes, or they bring in more from the sideboard. So the change in thinking here is really, what if we're just not understanding how powerful Reckoner Bankbuster can be, specifically if we have the option to attack with it early? So in the deck list that La Levin puts in this article, I think he's got three or four deck lists in there. He's gone so far as to like cut cards like Fable of the Mirror Breaker because the two power token just doesn't crew the Bankbuster. So instead we're saying, yep, Tassiger the Golden Fang. All right, we're, we're just choosing cards specifically because they allow us to use Bankbuster um, for maximum efficiency in whatever role we're asked to play, right? You, you actually are a Thoughtseize push deck that both can pressure and win early, but also win long because the Bankbuster itself gives you card advantage if you need it to. And then, like David's saying, you have this Shaeldred commit to memory line in this blue-black version. So is it possible we've just been sleeping on like the full potential of Bankbuster for a year? I mean, I'll say if, if he's right, I'm not 100% sure that he's right. I'm not 100% sure that I agree with him. Uh, because I found it's effing, like if you draw multiple Bankbusters, it's really hard to even play the second one. But as a card that I've grown to want to add like two to every mid-range shell, that is absolutely the case. That mm. it was a card I was like, is this better than Maze Mind Tome? If I'm trying to go long, isn't the four life from Tome maybe often better? But the ability to turn it into a threat right away is the key. And one of the things that we'll talk about when we get into my lists is I've 
I'll just speak about myself, have had a hard time closing games, right? I'll be a little bit ahead for a long stretch of time, but that leaves you vulnerable to three bad draws of lands off the top. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm ranting to Dan and uh, chat about how, <laughs> how unlucky the this world is. I think the ability to turn the corner is really key. Now, this isn't exactly the same thing, but this is why I think I had so much success with a different two mana vehicle. Um, but the, uh, the heart of Kieran, same kind of thing in terms of it lets you close the game very early. It functionally acted as like an extra draw because I had the three mana planeswalker that allowed me to like crew this for no mana. It was also an incredible blocker, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of things happening there that are very interesting in terms of turning cards into advantage, also having a way to close and this doing both and eventually making a bunch more things. He makes a great point about treasure, and I think that's the one thing that's really underrated about Fable. The reason why it's so much better with Black is because it just randomly generates things that leave play. So it allows Black to turn on Fatal Push without having to play any fetch lands. Mm. Uh, And same with Blood Tithe Harvester. Blood Tithe Harvester can sack itself to kill a creature and then turn on Fable. It creates a blood, which turns on Fable. So it's not just that these cards have all this text. They make the the push, which is the best removal spell, by a huge amount. I don't even know what the second best removal spell is very playable in a deck that normally wouldn't be able to play it. Like it's just this weird ancillary effect and eventually Bankbuster in his blue black deck that again does not have fetch lands. It turns on the push in the late game, which is when you're more likely to want to kill a three and four uh, mana creature like a opposing shielded. Uh, It makes it very trivial to do so. Right. You don't need the treasure right away, but just having access to it at some point. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the more these good dual lands are printed, the less I ever want to touch a Fable Passage and not just not have to think about that anymore. <laughs> I can just get it off the Bankbuster, get my Revolt that way. So great article from La Levin. Sweet deck. Uh, I think he's got at least two five O's with it. Hopefully we'll see more of it. Yeah, he has an Orzov list. He has an updated red black list where, like Dan says, he's cutting the Fables. He's working on stuff. The, the Orzov list, just a quick, I, I'm not spoiling the article. <laughs> he's proposing playing nadar the selfless paladin which is a card i fucking love i just hadn't even thought about this so i don't know if it's good or not I, we need him to tell us maybe we need to have him come on as a guest brewer i would love that i i love i love what, what everything that's happening here so people should subscribe just a reminder it's the what if brews.substack.com great article to the question about pioneer hacks he talks about just if cards are banned in standard we should at least consider them in Pioneer, he is the person that brought Blood Tithe Harvester to the masses in Pioneer because it was a great limited card. Shoutouts to Dan Schriever. Uh, and he talks about cards that are available in Modern. And the the push thoughtsies, I'm not blowing anyone's mind here. The fact that those cards are playable all the way back to um, Modern is, is a sign of like how powerful they are when you look at the red options, right? Like Bone Crusher Giant's a very good card in Pioneer. It's totally unplayable uh, in Modern. Thoughtsies is... Just a good card everywhere. And it was a terrible mistake to print back into standard. I, I think the standard format it was in was maybe the worst of all time. Law 11 makes a very eloquent case for why cards that are at the top of the draft format on 17lands.com. These are the powerful cards that we should be exploring in Pioneer. <laughs> Data-driven decision-making, David. This is This is the key. Yeah, we should let AI just figure out what the format is and just play against each other. A million games between uh, emotionless robots to determine if we should ban Karn. (laughs) 
All right. So that's La Eleven's Bankbuster. You've been playing some Bankbusters. You've been playing a lot of stuff, David. So let's close out here by taking a look at some of the spicier ones that you've been brewing with lately. Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about is Kefnet. Uh, like we talked about, Dan or uh, uh, Zach took it on the chin. He played a blue-green <laughs> version I had proposed, and I guess it, it, I thought I made it better, and maybe I made it worse. Or maybe I got lucky with my 3-2, and, or maybe he got unlucky. Or we don't know. But uh, I played a blue-black God uh, Eternal Kefnet list, so it's actually kind of similar in some ways to the uh, blue-black list. It's similar but worse, I think, in many ways to the blue blacklist that um, Law 11 was playing. So we're only playing 22 lands, but we're playing multiple uh, MDFCs. So we functionally have 28 possible mana sources. We're playing six cantrips plus three sensors. So we can trigger our God Eternal Kefnet on their turn as needed, plus, plus a cling. And then we have Ledger Shredders. I actually went up to the full four because, again, I was I was really feeling like this deck was struggling to finish games. And Ledger Shredder is just an early threat. It helps keep cards flowing. If Ledger Shredder is triggered on your opponent's turn with God Eternal Captain in play, it actually triggers it. And then, again, the looting ability is even better than it normally would be because of Shieldred. Um, so, yeah, that's... And then we just have three T-Cruises that, again, is very good with Shieldred. Uh, and you can sometimes double cast it with a God Eternal Kefnet making the first one cheaper to cast. So when David says that he, he's playing MDFCs, he's talking about Saloon Divisions and Hagra Maulings. Three Saloon Division, two Hagra Mauling, one Juari Disruption. Saloon Division is an amazing card to flip with Kefnet, and it helps you just keep cards flowing because it often finds a spell you want to cast. So like Saloon Division, four Consider with Ledger Shredder in play right? Triggers another loot. So you get like a zillion looks at finding your T-Crews, let's just say. Um, and obviously, Slim Divisions flipped off God Eternal Kefnet is just a blue mana to look at your top six and find an instant or sorcery, and we have 29 of them in the deck um, because we're replacing land slots with that. Hyagra Mauling, an incredible card to flip off of God Eternal Kefnet, just black, black, terminate. Um, so I gotta ask you, why, why only two Kefnets? I mean, you got... The infrastructure here to hit a pretty high percentage of the time off your Kefnet flip. I didn't want to play more than five four drops. Um, I don't know what the right number of four drops is. I'm noticing that uh, Law 11 played four, so it's four, five, six. I mean, that's really the top end, especially without the life gain. You could maybe play three Kefnets and two Shieldreds. Uh, it depends what kind of matchups you're going to see. Mm. Uh, Shieldred better against Red Black Sack, worse against Control. So yeah, it's it was just a six of one, half a dozen of the other. You you could play three, got eternal two shieldred. I don't think you want to play more than five four drops. So if you don't think shieldred's very good, or you just love to play Kefnet, you could play more. In the last league I played, Kefnet was much better. In the league before, shieldred was much better. Um, mm. So you don't get to control what you play against, unfortunately. I will say, if you don't want to lose the spirits, got eternal Kefnet is awesome there. It just blocks forever. Just eventually accrues a bunch of value. Did you feel like you were getting paid off enough for the Kefnet with, you know, hitting an opt or consider or something? Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing is, Kefnet is not asking you to do anything you don't want to play anyway. If you want to play Treasure Cruise and Shielder together, which is kind of like a quote-unquote known, you know, whatever, shell that people have tried, you want to play a bunch of cantrips. And if you're going to play a bunch of cantrips, you want to play Ledger Shredder. Um, and then having to play a few MDFCs one way or the other is 
not that big of a cost in my mind. So I, I think it's asking for very little. And then, yeah, it, it was often drawing like three or four cards a turn. Or excuse me, three or four oh, cards wow. throughout the course of a game. Oh. Because the thing <laughs> is, if it, flips one, if it flips one, you're just up another card. So like, okay, it flips Saloon Division. Mm-hmm. Saloon Division finds Opt. And then you just wait until their, their turn. Then you cast Opt. <laughs> You know, so you get like another look at it. So it's like, and then Op might find something. So just in that turn, two turn cycle, you win up two cards, but you're also left with a Saloon Division in your hand. So you still can make a land drop if you if you need to, let's say. So it just it really prevents you from gassing, and the five toughness is really relevant. Like it just Grease Fang attacks. You just get to block one of the angels for free, and then the second angel can't attack for the rest of the game. So like, you can even let them combo, and they they don't kill you. It blocks. Um, chariot, right? Just they crew up chariot, you block it. Okay, they got a bunch of two twos, but like by itself, it just stops the whole thing. So your 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 four drops being five toughness, they stop all the four power attackers in the format. So you played two leagues. It looks like three or two both times. In one league, Shieldred was better. In one league, Kefnet was better. But what about the overall concept of the deck? Like how how was the rest of the deck holding up against the demands of the format? Um. One of the problems with this deck is you don't have an easy way to turn on your push. So the this is not a good push deck. You need to play push because the removal is good, but you don't have an easy way to um, create treasures. You I mean, cards you could think about that do that are like Deadly Dispute. Well, Deadly Dispute is not a great card to flip with God Eternal Kefnet, actually, <laughs> <laughs> unless you have fodder for it. So, yeah, there, there's probably further tweaks to do. And again, the, the thing I felt like I was missing was was pressure. You know, like Shieldred and Kefnet are your only ways to win the game. So there's probably further tweaks you can do, but the the version I have in front of me felt like the deck did play very smooth. Um, I felt like I had a shot in all the games. You, you're, you're maybe a little bit of a dog to red-black sacrifice because you don't have uh, maybe great sideboard options. I do think you should maybe play the two Meat Hook Massacres in your sideboard at this point because of red black sacrifice it's so good against them yeah i mean i think the, the deck felt very good i felt like unfortunate to three two both times like hmm, okay well that's a vote of confidence then yeah it's it's strange because there aren't that many win conditions like you're saying not a lot of pressure but i mean your five drops are very very big very threatening yeah and maybe maybe you know the problem is like okay while Evan says Bankbuster is the way to go, but the mm-hmm. point he makes though is he's playing all these ways to crew it, and you can't play that many ways to crew it and still have enough spells to make God Eternal Kefnet good. So, although Bankbuster can be activated on their turn to trigger God Eternal Kefnet, so <laughs> maybe there's something that can be done there. I, I, I'm not sure. Mm. I didn't love Ledger Shredder, right? Like it mm. was good to have something down early that did put pressure and could block. Um, but it, it might be worth it to like switch them out for like three bank busters and then like cut a T cruise and play like a couple more three drops, like the, um, graveyard trespasser that could, that can crew it up as needed. That's certainly something to think about, but then you also have this ability to draw on their turn. So your shield and God eternal Kefnet are still good. I want like a spell that makes a token that can crew the bank buster. I mean, Multiple, Multiple choice. choice. <laughs> there you multiple go. choice does it. I thought about rebuilding the green blue deck with that. Like that's the plan now is we're just trying to like multiple choice. Mm-hmm. It can't be worse than what happened to Mr. Mana symbol. 
<laughs> okay, so that was that was a, a bunch of trying Capnet stuff. Have not given up on Capnet. Still like the card, and we'll definitely be exploring with some of the guidance from La Eleven. Another list I've been really wanting to try. I've been I tried a bunch of Stern Lesson builds. I was super excited about that card, as Dan knows. And I've been wanting to just play like a super fair list. And I was inspired because there was a brief flirtation in Pioneer with a six mana Chandra. Mm-hmm. And she comes out on turn six, hopefully, turn six or seven. And you can plus her to make mana. You can minus her to do damage. And you have this like combo built in with the, um, uh, what's the red sorcery? Or the blaze light up yeah. the night. But like, man, like resolving a six mana planeswalker sucks. So like that deck wasn't actually good against control and you have to like really draw the right mix of lands and spells to get to six mana, right? And not have to just like lose your Chandra immediately. So I had experimented with a list that was playing like Magmatic Insight and Thrill of Possibility. So red spells that are good if they're doubled Mm -hmm. with the card Drownyard Temple. Drownyard Temple is a very strange card. It's a colorless land. But if it's in your graveyard, you can pay three colorless at instant speed and put it into play tapped. Well, that ability can be paid for by the Stern Lesson trigger. So I had tried uh, variations of like Magma Opus, Stern Lesson, Torrential Gearhawk, and I tried one that was also combining that in with Drown Yard Temple. And as is often the case, I was doing too many things at once. So the Chandra deck showed you like you don't need the Magma Opus thing. You can just have a value like plan of these spells. And so I was like, the the natural curve I wanted to try out was just Pyromancer's Goggles, which is a card Ooh. you can very naturally curve into on turn four with your Stern Lesson. It still lets us meet our criteria that I was talking about for removal. So we never tap out. We have three mana up. If they go for a combo or something, we can interact with it. Control doesn't like countering Stern Lesson on EOT because you can untap and play any four mana Planeswalker they can't beat. So they normally let it resolve. And when you resolve Pyromancer's Goggles, you'll have a red up and you get to double a spell. So if your opponent goes for something, you just double fire impulse, right? Just sweeps their board. It's like a borderline wrath. Uh, And the thing that I really switched to, which was key, was the Stern Lesson tokens are great with Shark Typhoon. So I got rid of all the Magma Opus, all the nonsense. The artifact stuff we have to do are we can put the two Saw Cummings into Fortel. Mm. We have one Celestis. We have three Pyromancer's Goggles. We have four Shark Typhoons and only one Torrential Gearhulk, just as a value Gearhulk. Uh, we have Hall of Storm Giants, Sakenton, and Odawara as lands that we can use mana on. Um, I hated the blue land that you could scry. This felt like it didn't do anything. I think somebody in our Discord recommended Mirix. I forget the individual's name, so my apologies to you. Uh, uh, Mr. Rib. Yeah. So I have a one of Mirix in here, and man, was this card insane. I, I even have a second one on the sideboard. It's just like, you just have all this mana lying around. You just make a, it's just tap a land, make a 1-1 one, one every turn. It's, it's unbeatable against control. Uh, Blue-black cannot beat it. Blue-white cannot beat it. Are we talking about the land that just makes toxic mites? Is that, yeah. That's all it does? Yes. That wins the game. Sure. Like, you just sit there, you're just staring at each other, right? Nobody wants to cast a spell. And I'm just making one one every turn. I'm never having to to tap out. I have way more mana than my opponent because I'm drawing our templing back. And then I also am playing full four shark typhoons with all this extra mana. So we can both make our shark typhoons, but mine are way bigger. And then if I ever resolve Pyromancer's goggles, I just outvalue them because I just throw the possibility away my fiery impulse, which isn't good against control, and I draw four cards. I crush control. 
over and over again in this league. That's amazing. Yeah, it looks like you just missed the 5-0. Yeah, beat, blue, beat Spirits, sent in a picture of game one. I was like, oh man, I finally have a deck that's awesome against Spirits. I just interacted, interacted, then cycled a Shark Typhoon for three or four, blocked a Spirit, killed it. They can't even attack for the rest of the game. Eventually found another Shark Typhoon and won. I was like, how could I lose? Did not hit a second colored mana in my top 16 cards game two. Also got hosed in game three, and I was like, oh, fuck. And then I just crushed everybody. Beat red, green goblins. I want to shout out to, I'm out to get you. He is a, or she is a fan of the podcast. Had a very friendly chat with them about uh, some of their cool choices in their red, green goblin list. Played tasty cheese 420. This person <laughs> is a gigantic asshole. <laughs> On blue, white control. Too old. This person, effortless, wasn't even close. They're just ranting at me, cussing at me in the freaking chat. So if you ever play Tasty Cheese 420, tell them to go F themselves. Mm-hmm. Beat a uh, very excellent blue-white control player, and then beat uh, Blue-Red Phoenix played by Doom Switch, the excellent uh, grinder. So yeah, 4-1. Could have very easily 5-0'd. Like if I'd drawn a second red source in my top, or or blue. Just need a colored source. I've, I've got the screenshot. My hand was perfect. I would have won effortlessly. So yeah, this felt awesome. Uh, I, I would highly recommend this list. If you if you like like the Chandra thing, what about turn four? <laughs> uh, Pyromancer's Goggles. And there is even a combo finish. I have a one of Fight with Fire. Just double oh. it up. I've got screenshots <laughs> of killing blue-white control after we had a counter battle on their end step. Killed Phoenix. Just 20 damage. Takes nine mana. It's not that hard to find, honestly. You end up with a ton more mana than the other control people because you just get back your Drawnir Temples over and over again. This is amazing, David. What's so cool about it is that if you just looked at the, the list right now, you might think, oh, this is a, a revival of that weird standard deck where, you know, when Drown Yard Temple was legal and you could play Tormenting Voice and Magmatic Insight. And they were using that to get the Pyromatch's goggle down. That was like the shell. And it kind of looks like an update of that, but that's not the path you took to get here, right? Like you were working on Stern Lesson. You were thinking about the Magnum Opus thing, how Stern Lesson lets you play Torrential Gear Hulks. Um, then you're thinking about the Chandra. And you've just been gradually updating these slots and improving them just by putting the work in to like, figure out that actually, you know, Gear Hulk and Opus and Chandra are still just kind of clunkier. And there's actually just better ways to do this to make use of that Power Stone. You know, Shark Typhoons are better. The Temple is still good. Yeah, this, this yeah. looks sweet. Basically, what happened is I realized that both of the decks were good. You just had to pick which one you wanted to do. I actually think if you go all in on the Magma Opus plan and just play four Gear Hulk, no Pyromancer's Goggles, and some number of Shark Typhoon, that deck is good. And I just wanted like a proof of concept that I could make this other version good. And this this deck felt great as well. I, I wouldn't say which one's better. But this deck is totally mean to Graveyard Hate. They're not going to bring in Graveyard Hate just to kill your Drown Your Temple. It's preposterous. And you also often just do it at instant speed. But yeah, like turn one, just imagine you're on the play. You just Magmatic Insight, you're drowning your temple to your graveyard and draw two. And that's going to come back and play at instant speed at end of turn as like a free rampant growth. So you cast a spell that drew two and turned one of those and turned a discarded card into a rampant growth that's uncounterable. It's like when you're sitting there against a control deck on turn three, you both don't want to spend mana. On their EOT, you just cast a free rampant growth. And what matters in control mirrors is mana. Yeah. Yeah, this looks awesome. Excited to try this. Yeah, so shout out to whoever said Mirex. It won me every game against Control. Like, what can they do? <laughs> All right, so that is Blue Red Stern Lesson, Pyromancer's Goggles, Drown Yard Temple. All right, then we went deep into the bag. 
I think you and I, Dan, are the uh, BTL for Valky, you know, gurus of Pioneer. And at one time, it was like the best thing you could do. More or less. For a while. Okay. So, <laughs> back on that train, this is a bring to light for Valky or bring to light for Scapeshift with Dread Presence in play, Shell. No way. So, it's Saltai, <laughs> but the only blue card is two Growth Spiral, four bring to light. There's a red basic land because we're playing six. Uh, we're playing three Maestro's Theater, three Riveteers Outlook. Um, and then we're just playing the black interaction. We're playing two Elvish Reclaimer to try to find our Urborg as needed. We have one Dryad to simulate an Urborg as needed. And then we have four Dread Presence. Uh, an Extinction Event is a BTL target. A single Scape Shift is a BTL target. Two Valkyries. So we're basically like a mid-range list. We're eschewing like quote-unquote better four drops for Dread Presence, which actually turned out to be pretty good because we're so swamp heavy. So we have eight swamp dual lands, three swamp tri lands, four swamp basics, and then two Urborgs, which turn your Maestro Theaters into double triggers for the Dread Presence. Dread Presence, three and a black nightmare. So it's a three, three for four. Whenever a swamp enters the battlefield under your control, choose one either you draw a card and you lose one life or dread presence deals two damage to any target and you gain two life so it, it's potentially like a valakut style finisher when it's not doing that it can just draw you cards uh, and lose some life but i mean it's it's not great stats and it does require all these swamps so i'm dying to know david like how did dread presence perform like how did this deck actually win was it the btl for scapeshift thing or was it uh, whatever the other plan is. So yeah, you have two ways to win. You basically like BTL for Valky and just win like a value war. You just, you know, plus Valky a bunch of times. They typically just like throw down, you know, if they can't kill your huge planeswalker. Or yeah, like I've got multiple screenshots here. Like Mono Green had to kill my Valky. So I just BTL'd for a bunch of the fetch lands and an Urborg with Dread Presence in play. And people who don't realize like how much damage you can do, you fetch Urborg and then four mm -hmm. of those fetch lands. So you get 10 triggers, let's say. You get five triggers, that only does 10 damage. And then the four all sacrifice and find, you know, basic lands. And those are all swamps because of Urborg. So you, you only need five lands in play to do 18 damage. So it's not quite Valakit. That's why we're not playing. That's specifically why we're not playing um, Fable Passage, is so that these cards automatically. Uh, go get a land when they come into play tapped after scape shift. Gotcha. So with five lands in play and dread presence, but they suck, right? Do they suck? Is that your question? <laughs> yeah. How much do they hurt the deck? Not that much. I mean, you, you play them on turn one. <laughs> they they make your pushes worse. That that's the big that's the big thing that they do that's worse. But they they give you this combo kill. So you know I don't know. Because 18 damage is basically killing your opponent. Hopefully. Yeah. So five lands, you're saying a scape shift for five gets you an Urborg and four of these new Capenna pseudo fetches, and that's enough. Yep. And you, I've got two screenshots of me doing it against Control when they tapped out to put their Lotus Field into play, and uh, Mono Green when they tapped out to play their 6-5 uh, to kill my... Um, Valky. Like they had to kill my Valky or kill my 3-3. Because otherwise Valky's going to 
take the six five and recast it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess that is, that is kind of the crucial number. Like if you play dread presence on turn four, well, first I'm going to stop and read the card. Then I'm going to have a good chuckle. I might rant it to you in the chat or something. And then I'm like, this is the perfect turn for me to just play my shale dread or whatever. <laughs> that dread presence is what going to draw my card next turn. Like not a big deal. I, I'm not thinking I'm dead next turn, but you can actually just kill me the next turn. Yeah, very, very easily. Uh, we even have a one of Bankbuster. I added it because you were telling me about Law 11. I was like, sweet. And <laughs> Dread Presence Cruise, <laughs> Bankbuster. So that's sweet. And then uh, if it's a fair matchup, right, you just play Dread Presence and then play another land. So it just replaces itself in a way that Shieldred cannot. So the sweet factor is here, but is the deck any good? How did you do? I went for one. But I 2-1'd in all my wins, and I 1-2'd my loss, and we, I really think we only lost because of horrific luck. So my internet died, so I had Rhett jump on the league, so I didn't time out. And in game one, he didn't have a stop in his main set, so we let, oh, no. with a Abrupt Decay in hand, we let Greasefang bring back a Chariot <laughs> and no. attack with it. And then eventually they like drew the combo, but the combo would not have killed us that turn. So we would have had like three or four looks the next turn to draw BTL to win. Um, we, you know, we wouldn't have died. We wouldn't have taken six damage and had all these two twos and play the whole game. Um, and then in the last game, they molded like four or five and kept like two thought seas, three lands or something. And I just flooded out. Like all of my shieldreds and dread presences is were all on the bottom of the deck. Like I got to 18 cards left and I hadn't seen a dread presence. Hmm. so i think i died with 15 cards left in my library they like we just slowly like both drew out of it so very easy could have five owed but i think you know the the matchups are not i mean these were these were grinds this was like a the classic like every league took <laughs> you know 20 minutes of my clock 20 minutes of my opponent's clock so like two one lotus field hmm. control two one control two one red, red black sack two one mono green <laughs> one two abs and grease fang just played for hours <laughs> So is it good? I don't think you'd ever 5-0 with us unless you get pretty fortunate, which I think I was almost about to get very fortunate. Um, but it's something you can do. The deck is super sweet. I don't know if you need the Reclaimers. Uh, you know, I don't know if you need the Reckoner, or maybe those should just be Reckoner Bankbusters. I don't know if you need a Grease or a Graveyard Trespasser main. There's like lots of cards to tweak because you have a tutor package. How easy was it to get BTL for four? Like that fourth color. Very easy. You're playing two Sylvan Carry added, three of your Overlooks, Fine Mountain. Mm, I see. And you only need four for two cards. You're mostly BTLing for Valky early in the game. Gotcha. Also, Reckoner Bankbuster makes a treasure, which came up. <laughs> and Dryad actually lets your lands tap for any color. True. I mean, there's something here that you've built a deck full of modern staples that see no play in Pioneer. So there's got to be something here. Um, this would be such a sweet 5-0 to have. <laughs> we can't just try this again. Yeah, it would have. It would have been. Yeah, well, I think it would have like prompted a lot of people to pick it up and just be like, "This like fucking sucks." <laughs> <laughs> like we're playing two growth spirals, but not a lot of blue sources, and they never really got stuck in our hand, for instance. So that's kind of lucky. Hmm. Well, undaunted by the near miss, I see you have one final deck here, and it's also a BTL Valky deck. Four BTL, two Valky. Here, though, it looks like you've absorbed Law 11's wisdom 
and decided to build around Reckoner Bankbuster because I see four copies of Bankbuster here. Yeah, the basic prompt was I really love playing Galazeth Prismari. I I love that mm. card. I, it's so sweet. Uh, every time you cast it and get to use the mana right away, it feels awesome. It makes a treasure, so if it makes Fatal Push, awesome. Um, and it makes Bring to Light like super accessible. So I want to play that, and then I was like, well, what's the best artifact maker that's just a normal card? And I think that might be Blood Tithe Harvester. <laughs> so, okay, we've added a fourth color. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but in theory, Galzeth, like making a treasure helps you cast a ring to light. The blood tithe harvester, um, is good with bank buster. Bank buster is an artifact that can tap for mana with Galzeth if you need it to. And then I just had like a couple deadly disputes to make more artifacts. And then, so therefore I added Volder and Epicures. I'm not really sure what I was doing. So <laughs> yeah, we're, we're playing 25 lands, <laughs> you know, like as you do. The, we're playing the Fable Passage package, like one of each basic, two Fable Passages, uh, a shit ton of duels, basically no utility lands, and then Galazeth with the like core of the red-black value list that uh, Law 11 proposed, but with BTL on top. <laughs> so you're potentially going bigger. Right, like going way, going way bigger. We we won our first uh, match against Karuga Enigmatic Fires because we could do all kinds of things our opponent couldn't. I took their Karuga, cast it, drew like four cards. Then they um, exiled it with their, you know, whatever white enchantment. Sacked it. I knew they. I didn't. I let it all happen because I knew that they would sack that to um, their Enigmatic mm -hmm. uh, to get a seven drop because they had. Um, the four seven and play the double triggers. So the exile crew against something of mine sack the six drop. They get their seven drop, whatever they, they take my, whatever they take my, whatever I, their Kruga comes in play and triggers for like a zillion, but that triggers doubled. So then I, <laughs> I had a notion thief in my hand that I left up and drew like 14 and just murdered them the next turn. And they were just like, Oh my God, I can't believe this happened. <laughs> it was so sick. I knew they'd take my Karuga and then I knew they'd double the triggers. And so I just, I let, I let them do everything because I knew that I would get to Notion Thief the, that trigger. Because it's not a coming to play trigger. It's not stopped by Elish Norn. Oh my gosh. It was truly glorious. And then, yeah, I think I just swept, they had all odds in play. So I just swept it away with Extinction Event. <laughs> so you came back from them playing Karuga, Elish Norn. Agent of Treachery, it's stealing your thing. They had Kruga, Elish Norn, a copied, a copied Elish Norn trigger on the stack and a copied Agent of Treachery trigger on the stack and the 4-6 that blows up two things and makes two three threes. That's ridiculous. It was <laughs> absolutely glorious. <laughs> All right, so this thing is certainly capable of spectacular finishes. It's like a very small Rakdos mid-range Rakdos sack core with a BTL Galas Espezmari uh, Valky Bankbuster on the top end. I mean, what what are you thinking? Like, is this the next evolution? How did it perform? Hard to say. I beat Enigmatic Fires, which Red Black Midrange would have lost to. Played a Red Black Midrange Mirror, if you want to think of it that way. One game, one easily. And then I, they just, like, killed me very quickly in the sideboard of games. Like, Bankbuster just didn't save me, so I, maybe I just need to rethink how I'm like boarding for those sideboarded games. I might just end up taking all my thought pieces out, like not try to disrupt them at all, and just try to get like two for one value without having to spend mana to do it. Mm. Beat uh, blue black archfiend combo. I mean, archfiend draws that combo is terrible. That deck sucks. I, I we spent a week on it. I tried a bunch of different shells. I, I never liked it. 
played Red Black Sacrifice, like super long three game match. Felt like that was a tough matchup and then played it and lost to it and then played it again in round five and crushed them 2-0 easily. So <laughs> I don't know if it is a good matchup or not. <laughs> I think the deck just has like really polarized draws because of, like our mana base is wild. So it felt like when your mana was smooth early in the game, we just won effortlessly. So maybe there's a way to fix that. I don't, I don't know. I think like the deadly disputes and the Voldaren Epicures feel like Yeah, they gotta be something else. sub again from a different deck. <laughs> like yeah. you were short a few players, you you September call-ups, <laughs> like just get in there to make artifact tokens. It's gotta be something else gonna do that. Yeah, that that's probably right. I mean there's there's probably other stuff to do. I wonder if you could just make this deck teamer and just play red removal instead. Like no black at all. And maybe like the um the two mana artifact that makes a one one person or whatever. Oh, courier's briefcase. Yeah, courier's briefcase. So you're not trying to do bankbuster anymore. Not trying to do blood tithe harvester. Oh no, I I play bankbuster for sure. Oh, you would courier courier's briefcase, and then you could play um, tireless tracker to make artifacts. Ah, okay, that's three power. Courier's the bankbuster. Yep, yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> Or or you could play the one that comes into play with a treasure. It's like a 2-3, but it gets plus 2 plus 0 oh if you have a token in play. Briarbridge Tracker. That's interesting. Yeah. It's a very interesting idea. So, you know, like the red removal is good enough. Maybe you don't need to play Thoughtseize. You can probably play some counter magic. And then you leave the BTL for Valky. Or maybe you have like a light black splash. So you can play like the backside. Gosh, I mean, we're so many colors. Well, no, you don't have to play black at all. You have to play black for Valky at least. If you're playing a BTL... I'm never playing Valky on two. <laughs> you get a treasure from Galazeth and oh, the true. Courier's Briefcase. Okay, fair enough. But then, then we can play Gross Spiral Sensor. <laughs> I don't know. You can, do, you can do lots of stuff, is my point. There's just a lot of stuff to be done here. Gross Spiral is also really sweet with Tracker, because it lets you play Tracker on three and get a land drop. I would prefer to just just start small, just cut the deadly disputes and the Vildur and Epicures and replace them with a solid three power card to create the Bankbuster that ideally also leaves behind something for Galazeth, but that's not as important to me. So like it could just be Graveyard Trespasser. I know that's boring, but maybe there's is there any other card that makes a token that makes like a food or something. There's a red-black 1-2 that makes a treasure, and then it says whenever a creature is cast with a treasure mana, it gets a plus-one, plus-one counter. Yeah, but that doesn't crew the bank buster. It's like just kind of weak on its own. Yeah. That's Colleen, the reclusive painter. Oh, by the way, it is a sick kill, uh, I think, against red-black sack. Attack with Croak, so they had no cards in hand, did three. They chumped with a thing or whatever. Plus my, um, the backside of Valky got a uh, oven from them, sacked Kroxa, cast it from my graveyard <laughs> to what? do the last three points. <laughs> okay, that's kind of ridiculous. How could they ever see it coming? Maybe Bonecrusher Giant. No, nah, Bonecrusher Giant sucks. <sighs> Bonecrusher Giant is a bad card. I, I have no respect for that card. I want people to play it against me. <laughs> okay. Did you ever crew the Bankbuster with Kroxa? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's tough to do that, though, if you you have to be sure they're not going to kill it. I just did it to, like, kill a um, Narset. Mm. 
Interesting. Yeah, I want to make sure that we, we leave open the offensive capabilities of Bankbuster in this deck. The BTL angle kind of goes in a different direction. The other thing is, like, this deck is playing some weird choices just because we have a Gigantha. You could abandon Gigantha and play other cards as well. All right, going to keep pondering this one. But yeah, these are some sweet brews, David. Looks like you've been just knocking on the door of even more 5-0s. You, know, you had some sweet 5-0s a couple weeks back with like the Heart of Kieran deck. But yeah, I mean, more are coming. Let's, let's knock out those 5-0s this week. Yeah, and I want to encourage people to keep brewing in Pioneer. Like, no one is playing anything close to any of these decks. Like, this is all things that you can do. It's not like some locked-in thing where your plays all have to be this, that, and the other thing. Like, if you just play some cheap one-mana removal, a little bit of disruption, now you are free to make your three and four drops Galazath and BTL. Like, you can just do it. I just did it. I missed two five O's with decks that, I mean, are like 30 cards different from anything else people are doing. The the blue-black uh, Heart of Kieran deck is... No one's playing anything like that. That was a 5-0. I 5-0'd with a 4-3. I, don't, I can't even remember the freaking Giant's name because no one else even plays it. I mean, there's just a million ways you can build these decks, so. The Giant? The 4-3 Giant that goes back to your hand if it doesn't have a plus one, plus one counter. Oh, the Shatter's called Charger. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's a Giant, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah. Correct. It's all out there, man. It's available. You might have to lose the spirits a few times on the way. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely beautiful stuff. Um, love to see it, David. And I'm looking forward to the inevitable 5-0s this week, because next week you're 5-0-ing with Tough Cookie, as promised. We're all 5-0-ing with Tough Cookie. <laughs> Law 11, where are you? I need you, buddy. <laughs> tough Cookie time. <laughs> all right. I think that's going to do it for us uh, yes. for this week. Um, we'll be back next week as we dive in to the Wilds of Eldraine previews. Uh, and who knows what else? Can't wait to see it. Um, lots of brewing to be done. Excited to see what the future holds. Yes, uh, it's been a real pleasure. And um, happy brewing to everybody. All right, take care. All right, take care. Deck lists for this episode can be found at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. And tune in next time for part one of our Wilds of Eldraine set review. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. Join the Faithless family and help support the show at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe and we'll see you next time. Yeah.